Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of Two Beats Off Podcast. We back, baby. It's good to be back. <sighs> Oof. I know that we I know we don't owe anyone any kind of explanation, but the explanation is it's our show and we'll do with it what we want to. Pretty much. Thank you. Because I was gonna probably over explain it. Yeah, and I mean, let's if, be honest, sometimes life just gets in the freaking way. Yeah. Retail and stuff and you know. Yeah, and I think everybody understands that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Everybody's life has been kind of turned upside down. Some people are exponentially more busy than they ever have been. And some people are bored to tears because they're not allowed to go to work. We should have actually done some research on how many people have died since the last episode. Oh, wow. Jesus, it's a big number. I, I saw somebody on Facebook, you know, that old reliable website, say yeah. that uh, this week... 200,000? They're going to 20,000 week. It's got to be 200. 200,000 last week? Sounds oh, right. last week? Just last week? I don't know. That's why maybe it's a 20. Yeah, yeah the maybe, number of the United States is going to hit 200 by the end of the week because we're at like 196 now and we're averaging like between 900 and 1100 a day. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is just fucking terrifying to think of. It's pretty At wild. the same time, you know. No. <laughs> as Steve Roach said, boomer remover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your kids to school, tell them don't wear a mask, and then send them over to all those older relatives that you don't really like and let them hang out for a while. In close quarters, you know, lots of laps and hugs and kisses. <laughs> I, I saw I, I saw a meme that I, that made me laugh really hard that it said uh 2020 can't possibly surprise me and then at the bottom it said 2020 here's Vin Diesel with hair. Oh, does uh, he? He doesn't. For like a movie. No way. Yeah. Not really. I don't know. It's probably as real as yours. Who me? It's very real. <laughs> MC. MC's is very real. I saw it in person. Yeah, like I actually did the mohawk because my hair was kind of growing into a like a pseudo mullet and it was ridiculous. I saw was... a photo of like you from the side and you had the ducktail like oh pretty, yeah, pre the pretty in pink thing. Dude, and but people in my family started telling me that I looked like my dad. And oh. backstory, I've never met that guy, so fuck that haircut had to go. <laughs> <laughs> like I know from seeing pictures that I already do look like I look a lot like him. Didn't need the hair to go with it, so I let old Mitch Mitch Rife give me a sweet mohawk. I just want to chime in. I googled Vin Diesel with hair, and it's a picture of Drake. <laughs> Perfect. It's <laughs> um, a. This is a little inside baseball, but uh, MC Steven and I texted a little bit after we canceled last night. And um, did you know that ranch dressing was invented by a fellow who owned a ranch called Hidden Valley Ranch? He's the original guy. The original guy that just throwing spices into mayo and buttermilk. <laughs> Serving it to his guests. That's what the people come here for. That's why people listen to this podcast. In other is parts it? of the world... Anything ranch, quote unquote ranch, is called American. Like there are cool American Doritos in Europe. Oh, really? Sponsored ad today? I had that on Facebook. I saw that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's a good sponsor ad. Hidden Valley American dressing. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. 
Because in other parts of the world, that's just gross to them. So they look at it and they say, oh, American, disgusting, don't buy it. I mean, it's just a lot of, like, flavored dairy, really. Yeah. yeah. It's And another thing that the Wikipedia for it told me last night was that ranch dressing is the most popular dressing in the United States since 1992 when it overtook Italian dressing. That was a sentence from the Wikipedia that I read and texted back to Stephen. I'm a big fan of Italian dressing. I don't really like a ton of salad dressings, if I'm being honest. I'm not really a vinegar guy, and ranch is a little bit too much. I'll take it on French fries and stuff on occasion. I'm not a vinegar guy either, honestly. That's how we dyed Easter eggs growing up, was in, like, really strong vinegar. So that smell of, like, the kitchen reeking of vinegar is like an Easter egg, like, red dye in a coffee mug yeah. kind of thing. I'm a honey mustard guy. Mm. I'm not a big like mustard that. guy either, honestly. What? I didn't think I was. Turns out I'm not a yellow mustard, like a Hunt's or Heinz mustard guy, but the brown spicy stuff I'm fine with. I I can see that. And because I've had like other stuff with dark mustards mixed in and it's really good. That's, I, I realized recently. <laughs> what did this podcast become? <laughs> Hold on. I got one more. Do you remember when music existed? <laughs> <laughs> this is snack chat with a. <laughs> with two beats <laughs> up. Um, growing up, I thought I hated Brussels sprouts. Turns out I hate I hated boiled Brussels sprouts because my mom just put them in a pot of water and boiled them. Yeah, that's not very good. It's not good. I'm since so thankful. Else, since I heard another beer cracking open, hold on, let me get it in close. With me. I'm really <sighs> glad my mom. My mom doesn't listen to it. Let, let's talk about a little bit of listener feedback. I'm glad my mom doesn't listen to this because Mike Screendor listened to an episode recently and just texted me, dude, your mom had a box full of dildos under her bed. And I guess I said that on the <laughs> yeah. podcast. And you didn't said more remember. than that. You didn't sure just, I did. Yeah, you, you elaborated. And um, he thanked me for the shout out last time I mentioned him, but Nathan Sellers is a committed listener and a... He had socially distanced beers on my porch a couple weeks ago, Aww. and he and he was talking about the um, our record club kind of thing where we the homework, and he's like, "You guys always plow forward and admit that you didn't listen to it. It's a pre-recorded show. Pause it, listen to the fucking record, and come back and talk about it." Well, I mean, if <laughs> oh my it's god, not we could literally it's... listen to it all together doing that because <laughs> there was one. It might be the Alkaline Trio 7-inch where he bought Brandon in and didn't even tell him to listen to it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't like that band. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. Okay, so we have one, though. And we probably have the time, realistically, because we thought that this interview would be longer. But we bullshitted enough that I could cut out probably 45 minutes of the interview. But we could talk about the Strike Anywhere record. Who's the interview with, Stephen? Give him a uh, hint. Mikey Nats and Johnny Hearns from Timeshares. They're going to love that you called them that. <laughs> yeah. I actually messaged, uh, I, I sent Mike a Facebook message because we're not quite close enough to have phone numbers yet. Actually, I do have his phone number, so I don't know why I didn't text him. I can give it to you. Um, but I, so every now and then my children, my four and my two-year-old say, we want a dance party. So I put on that, uh, the the song, the grappler school song or whatever that's on the yeah. captain split and Ender and Ellie were like dancing around the living room. So I sent him a video of it and he was just like, Jesus Christ, this is what it's like to be a band for 10 years. 
hey, dance party <laughs> to your songs. Hey, we're, we're coming up on it, man. I thought about that the other day. Um, February 2nd, Groundhog Day, will be 10 years since the first Reservoir show. Yeah. And wait, speaking of that, that means Old Tires is past that. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure when we you know first started because I saw a memory on Facebook recently where I posted – Hey guys, let's start a band. Something fast and cool, like some like fast hardcore punk rock, something like that. And I was like, well, that's where the idea for Old Tigers started. So, like, we're right at the spot where we started writing songs and like hopping onto the end of garage shows when we had four songs. You don't um, remember the first show, the date? You don't have it. Yeah, you don't no, have I, date. I honestly couldn't tell you because any time that all four of us were at a show at the garage, we'd probably jump on at the end. <laughs> Yeah, fair. Because if we were all there, it's because we were going to practice after the show. So I like that Reservoir's anniversary anniversary is always Groundhog Day. It's easy to remember. I love it, and I'm probably going to print some sort of Groundhog shirt that maybe only Emmett Naughton will buy um, for our anniversary. Shout out to Emmett Naughton. Yeah, big shout out to Emmett Naughton. Um, (laughs) You guys want to talk about the Strike Anywhere record at all? It's really good. Yeah. It's it's really good. I admittedly listened to it a couple times the day it came out, and then haven't really listened to it since. Oh, I listen. I've listened to it like probably a hundred times. Really? I'm yeah. I'm not at a hundred, but I have listened to it. Like the day it came out, I listened to it two or three times, like on repeat, and I've listened to it two or three times on repeat several days. Well, so hold then. on. What's your commute to work, Justin? Uh, well. Job one, about 15 minutes. Yeah. Job two, about 45. So I, I have time. Okay. And we listen to music at at AMP. But right. um, MC Yours is probably like 10, right? Tops. Oh, not even. When I go in the morning, it is Siri. When I get in my van, Siri says, it'll take you five minutes to get to Delco Plaza. And I'm like, God damn it. And then it takes me four because at 530 in the morning, there is no traffic. Yeah, I found because I have the 45-minute commute, which I kind of in, like hate when I get off work, but at the same time enjoy because it gives me time to wake up on the way to work. Yeah. I'm able to listen to things that I previously, when I lived in Dover and worked in Dover, and it took me two minutes to get to work, I never had the time to do. Well, I still find a lot of time, like I've been listening to two or three podcasts that come out every week. And they all are at least an hour long episodes and I get them all in. They come out on Thursday or Friday. I have them all done by Monday and I'm kind of like, well, I guess I'll go find a playlist or listen to the same albums that I've listened to a thousand times. Don't forget the struggle. Don't forget the streets. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so that's the thing at the first print shop, I wear headphones and that's when I listen to a lot of, uh, I have a library card for an audiobook service. So I've been listening right. to a lot of books. And I, chug through podcasts but then when story and i listen i can't listen to fucking stephen king on tape with story at amp he'd revolt he'd revolt um so we juggle playlists because i don't know it's easier than to keep the variety up but all the punk ones have the same like two interrupter songs the same rancid songs yeah i guess there's a new menzinger's record too right like a reimagined acoustic um yeah Hello Exile sort of thing. 
I didn't really like Hello Exodus, so I didn't dive into it. Speaking of playlists, though, before we get too far deep, if you go to the Two Beats Off Facebook page, I have made a playlist of every band that we've interviewed, and I plan on putting the next interviewed band as a kind of like surprise or whatever to whoever oh. decides to actually listen to it so they can see who's coming up next on Spotify. So if everyone goes to our Facebook page, they'll see the link on there, and they can listen to two songs it's not necessarily by the same band. Like we had Keith from 600 bands, Ambitions, Hostage, Calm, whatever. But Blair obviously had a record come out. So I put one of their songs on and I put Hostage, Calm one on. Made sure with Steve Roach, I put the two songs of the one seven inch he actually recorded on <laughs> on the Seisha discography. So everyone should check out that playlist. But we should also talk more about Strike Anywhere record because MC, didn't you say you were going to do a deep dive into the lyrics? Um, I really dig a lot of like the album lyrically. And I think timing, I don't know how they could have planned it any better because there's a song on there where he talks about the, the, the monuments in yes. Richmond to Confederate like generals and Confederate soldiers. And now they're being torn down. Like this summer, almost all of them have been torn down or vandalized to the point where they are not recognizable anymore. So do you think that like he like this record was being recorded and then maybe he wrote the lyrics on the spot? Because when I listened, I was like, there's no way he could have predicted this and written this song this perfectly. I I don't think so, because I've listened to that an interview that you actually sent me and he kind of references it. And he said, like, he's those are songs that they wrote like two years ago. They recorded them a year ago, and it just they've been sitting on it for this long. Yeah, and this and the this is the most um like vibrant version of it, but the statue thing has happened before. Right, um, absolutely. It, it Charlottesville. Coinc- yeah, it coincides with uh the the movement flaring back up when something awful happens. So it's just and, impressive how the timeline lined up with that record coming out in what June, July, July, June, yeah. July, and all of that stuff happening at that time. I was listening. And I was like, I'm picturing him in the studio, like being like scratching out lyrics, like, "Oh, I'm right about this." And it's impressive that, like, he, I don't know that it's. I mean, still... that could be possible. That could be possible too. Yeah. I wonder, how do you think record pressing plants were affected by COVID? Not positively. They're booked out pretty far, but I wondered if, like, not even necessarily, like, people being laid off or whatever, but um, other industries, shipping or bookbinding or whatever, like, took weird hits because of people being laid off or, I don't know, a variety of things based on it. But um, I guess what I was asking was, do you think bands are sending more records to the plant during COVID, do you think people rushed them? Do you think there's a, a weird drop-off where no one sent anything for months? Because I think people are recording now. My opinion is record-pressing plants have taken a big hit because what happens every spring? It happens multiple day. times a year now, but record store day is normally in the spring. And that did not happen this year. All those records were pressed. I know um, Anger, Young, and Poor over in Lancaster got in their like summer record store day pressings, but who's going out in mass shopping for records? Like most of that stuff has 
been nixed at this point. They're not the big labels aren't sending out, you know, the big big number pressings. Yeah, you know, your your friends and my friends and Steven's friends might be sending out, you know, oh we're gonna get a thousand records pressed. Great, but that's not keeping a record pressing plant open. The record pressing plant needs a big label sending out getting a hundred thousand records pressed, and that's not happening right now because there's not the demand. There's not there's not the foot traffic in the shops for it. There's not the money to be spent on it by consumers. Yeah. But then um, conversely, and MC, maybe you can talk about Dave and AYP, but um, I know that Mikey at Mr. Suit does a pretty healthy eBay and mail order business even normally, not with shit like this. Yeah. And well, so I don't know if he kept, I think he kept that up the whole time. Mikey listens, so maybe he can uh, uh, reach out and say, but... A difference there is AYP sells new records, and I think any used record in the shop is actually Dave's personal stash, and like he gets he has some kind of deal there where he's allowed to sell them and you know percentage or whatever. I don't know the details of it, but I'm pretty sure any used record in that shop is Dave's own like personal collection. Okay. So, I mean, maybe that's going well, but. That's not helping a record pressing plant. Me buying a pressed in 1981 exploited record, original pressing, is not helping anybody right. except the guy that sat on that for 30 or 40 years. Right. When this is a while ago at this point, but I remember obviously when Championship was still around, Colby Black took a van of people to the Ruiner record release for Prepare to Be Let Down. And we all went to celebrated summer records before. And I remember him dropping like almost a thousand dollars on like used records that he wanted to be able to sell in his record store. Yeah. And I don't know if it was like a I just want this kind of variety, or if it's like a hey, I'm gonna buy this for eighteen dollars and sell it for twenty bucks and make two dollars on it or whatever. But, Probably a lot of that just yeah. to have like good stuff in your shop. Like I mean that's retail. Like you, you'll sell something for almost no profit to have it on the floor to get people in, and then they might buy something else. Like if right. somebody buys something at a two dollar markup, and they also buy something that's at a fifty percent markup, you're coming out ahead. Right. Yeah. S Stephen, because you mentioned Colby, I uh, would be remiss if I didn't tell you guys this. At the Mahoning Drive-In Theater for Camp Blood the other weekend, I. Hey parked my car in front of a fellow with a Van Damage tattoo on his leg. Oh, shit. He had the dog from, is that a self-titled record? What's that called? The the yellowish-green one yeah. with the dog. Ah, record? That. <laughs> yeah. He had that on his leg, and Lois and I walked by to set our tent up, and I'm like, fuck, Lois, I think that's a Van Damage tattoo. And she's like, I recognize that from something. I came back, I'm like, hey, man, you have a Van Damage tattoo? He's like, well, fuck. He's the second person ever to know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah, and then we talked most of the morning. <laughs> I and feel like we had a lot of things in common. <laughs> I feel like the drive-in there benefited from COVID. They're crushing okay. it. They're yeah. crushing it. I mean, their season was a little bit abbreviated because normally they would start in April and weren't yeah. able to. But when they started in June or July, like everything's a festival everything is pretty close to sold out so 
and everyone's pretty cool like masks at the snack bar the merch stand yeah merch stands and then when you're at your car just hang out and yeah all right without further ado let's go to the interview with timeshares with mike natoli and john hernandez All right, welcome to the Two Beats Off Podcast, guys. What's up? Uh, hey. <laughs> we've got John and Mike from Timeshares. Uh, Going to keep it loose. So we don't often have two people at once. So take turns, talk over each other, we'll figure it out. Um, John, since you joined late, we'll start with you. Do you remember your first musical memory or how you uh, came to be born into music? Um, I have two. I remember in the second grade, uh, the second grade, uh, we had to do a project um, where you had to like write down everything you knew about a song you liked, and uh, and you had to like write down all the instruments you knew were in it. And I don't, I don't know why we had to do this. And I was thinking really hard about it. And the only song I really knew that I liked, I liked two songs at that point in second grade. I only liked two songs. And they were For the Longest Time by Billy Joel. And You're the One That I Want from the End of Greece. (laughs) 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 The Billy Joel song didn't have any instruments, so I couldn't do that. And uh, I I, I didn't know how to identify any instruments. So I was like, a horn, maybe? And... uh, so uh, I was like, I better learn a lot about music. I feel I felt stupid that day. And then um, moving forward, the first CD I ever bought with my own money, uh, I sat in a Blockbuster video and I held up two CDs. And one was Pieces of You by Jewel. And <laughs> the other was the soundtrack to Grease. <laughs> and I thought, I'd already had my fill of Grease, so I bought Pieces of You by Jewel. And I think if you put those two together, you can paint a picture of my introduction to music. I I can't I can't remember Blockbuster Video having CDs. One tiny rack by the entrance. Yeah, like a promotion. Yeah, it always had like Starbucks. the Batman soundtrack. <laughs> a lot yeah, of movie like tie-ins. Gro- grocery stores have like a little like they used to have like Target. You'd, they'd have like a little CD rack or something. I guess Target and yeah. Walmart probably sell CDs legit. They had Starbucks. That was like a big deal too. Like the the records that got exclusive placement in the Starbucks racks. Yeah. The the impulse buy at the end. That was like, I went to school for music industry. So like they got racks of CDs in Starbucks. That's like the kind of thing that we were learning. (laughs) That's your big break kid. Like (laughs) that, that was, that was the lesson plan five months before Spotify came out. Oh yeah, I mean I majored in music business pre Spotify as well, so yeah. Um, Mike, how about you? Um, I I had a really casual relationship with music for like a long time. Um, my dad is a big music guy. He would play guitar and sing in the house. Um, always had music on in the car. Big Beatles fan. Uh, always singing harmony along. Uh. And what else? He loved, like, he, he was big on, like, doo-wop and, like, 50s and 60s uh, rock and roll and that kind of stuff. Uh, also loved Sinatra, which I never really could get into. But, like, I don't know. I was just kind of a casual 
listener, like uh, a fly on the wall for a while. And, and he had guitars around the house and I picked him up and couldn't get it to work. Like it <laughs> was like real, real quickly frustrated. And, and like, I did not see myself having any kind of like musical endeavor in the future. And I don't know, I got, uh, around like middle school, I remember getting really into like '90s alt rock on the radio, like when it was mm-hmm. current. Like, uh, what was it around '95? PLJ in New York was like you would tune in for Goo Goo Dolls and Third Eye Blind and Counting. Who's your Crows. favorite radio DJ? '95. Uh, I, I don't know. Come on, Mike. <laughs> it was Paul. It was Paul Cubby Bryan on Z100, wasn't it? I didn't listen to Z100. I was 95.5, man. Yeah, when it came time to listen. We had Uh, 1.570X in central Pennsylvania. Maybe radio DJs are only famous in central PA. Maybe. No, New York is famous. When I I saw uh, System of a Down when I was in high school, the guy from 1.570X came out and introduced... System of a Down. Nipsey. Yeah. Like yeah. Nip Nipsey came out looking like Fat Mike in like the giant shorts and like a whole <laughs> shirt. And, <laughs> and I'm trying uh, to think of who all the K Rock guys were. We had K Rock in New York and uh like when that went away, that's like I never heard mainstream rock again. <laughs> like I never <laughs> I never existed, but uh I can't think of any that's like where Howard Stern was on here. And then they just play like new metal for the rest of the day. Yeah, and it was always on like the rock stations. Singles. So how do how do you guys find punk and or hardcore or alternative underground music? Then do you remember your gateway? Yeah, uh, uh, Dexter Holland flew me in himself on his jumbo jet. <laughs> 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 With well, the anarchy <laughs> sign on the tail. Yeah, anarchy um, Airlines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I. Um, I used to like go to school and leave uh, offspring songs downloading on Napster because like it took all day to get two songs back then. And uh, I know you meant yeah. at home, but I thought you meant I left school with it downloading on the school computer to come back to the next day. It's like <laughs> I also but, did that. <laughs> if I if I could have, I would have left the offspring downloading on every computer I encountered, my friend. I uh, I was like a fucking internet deadhead with the offspring. I could still like uh, shout out offspring B sides and shit. And then Dexter Holland had Nitro Records. So I'm like making my mom buy me like AFI and Vandals Records. And uh, that's, you know, I'm not joking. Dexter Holland held my hand and walked me through TSOL. Dexter said his favorite band was TSOL. So I'm like 13 listening to TSOL. Uh, Did you have Punkzilla? No, I didn't have Punkzilla because Nitro actually kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't wasn't great. I because I, I bought like all the comps because they were like five dollars. Yeah. In in the late nineties, early two thousands, I was like, oh shit, this is a cool way to get thirty songs. And Punkarama was definitely better than Punkzilla. Yeah, Punkarama and Give Him the Boot were like the yeah were the goals of of that. And uh, and then there was like the the hopeless ones were shitty. Cause they, they there's one or ones. two of them that are yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, they have like four good songs. Didn't listen Sam I Am on a couple of those. And yeah, that's like, high time. against all authority. Yeah, and 
like the Dillinger four track on each one, yep. and then yeah. whatever the fuck else was on that. <laughs> I was a big Thrice fan, so I, I kind of dug into those. That's a um, weird corner of those comps to to dig into. Go ahead, Mike. I saw too. you raise your hand. Me too. <laughs> like um, the illusion of safety and artist in the ambulance era Thrice. Oh yeah, I was on board. Um, so, who said um, that? I was, uh, <laughs> I was say I had a my Thrice anecdote is um. When I was stuck in Warped Tour traffic in 2003 going to New Jersey, some hopeless uh, records, like, intern threw a Thrice sampler into our car. Wow. Like, they were just walk, they were walking through, the like, the parts cars, just, like, hucking sampler CDs in. Yep. <laughs> so I have would, an that have been, would that have been Asbury Park? It was, yeah. I was probably sitting in traffic with you. Yeah, 2003. Oh. Yeah, I'm thinking of it. I threw a thrice sampler at this car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw thrice on their artist in the ambulance tour with uh, the Get Up Kids and Dashboard Confessional, but I made my mom make us leave two songs into Dashboard Confessional because they were too emo and I was punk. Wow. That's a, that's a firm stance when you get mom involved. I also bought a Slipknot DVD at the mall that day. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> you were all over the place, bud. Yeah, I was. Wow. <laughs> Still am. <laughs> Mike, how do you find underground punk and hardcore? Um, probably from people in high school. Um, actually, so I played on the high school hockey team, and two of the guys on the hockey team were like pretty into uh, underground punk music one of them was more into like um like boss tones um poppier stuff um the other one like introduced me to op ivy and bouncing souls and and like was kind of a gateway he was also like really good at guitar so that was kind of my introduction from there and then that kind of got me into meeting other people who were into bands and stuff and grew from there pretty much. What position did you play, Mike? I was a goalie. No shit. Were you uh, a goalie because of anyone with the numbers three Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Mike, tell him your, uh, tell him your, uh, your AOL, your AOL uh, name. What's that? Your uh, your your insta oh, AOL my, instant my messenger aim, name. My aim, Net Defender One. <laughs> nice. Net Defender One, baby. Why'd you want to be a goalie? Um, I just always thought it was like a beautiful position. Like I just loved watching goalies do what they do. Like yeah. I don't I don't know what it, it was. It was like watching like ballet. Like <laughs> the way people like what. I just thought it was like fucking amazing to watch and especially like, more at that time than it is now yeah i agree it's a lot more like kind of cookie cutter like and, and less less beautiful now but yeah it is what it is but yeah i just was like i don't know like obsessed with it just like i don't know i just loved watching goalies and i, I knew i wanted to like do that and yeah who's the greatest goaltender of all time Greatest goaltender of all Say time. Say that again, Stephen. You, uh, you who, cut who's, off the, Steven. who's the greatest goaltender of all time? 
I don't know. So many. Uh, look, look. I like Brodeur. I'm a Rangers fan, and I like Brodeur. You're not going to get me to talk any shit on Brodeur. I like him. I think I and and when I talk about goalies in the '90s being fucking beautiful, his his like his game was smooth as hell. But that I mean, that was a great time. Brodeur, Wah, Hashik, yeah. Richter, yeah. you know, like that was that was a golden era. Eddie Bell for Curtis Joseph. It was great. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that that whole class yeah. just, just made me want to get in the in the net. So you guys can start your hockey podcast after we're done. Yeah. No thanks. Actually, so Mike, as we were saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drinking pink Whitney, by the way. That shit's good though. It's all right. What's that? I, it's, it's, uh, like it's, like vodka. The, it's the Barstool Spit and Chicklets vodka. <laughs> it's oh. like a pink lemonade. Oh. <laughs> it's, I'm good. <laughs> it's yeah. it's fucking good. With Sprite, it's pretty good. That's what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like you, Mike. <laughs> I, we, I think we can get along despite our differences. Yeah, for sure. Well, I let my mom raise me, so. <laughs> you you chose to let your mom raise you. <laughs> anyway, Justin, lead us on. What's next? Uh, what uh? <laughs> so the first band that I know either of you from is the Knockdown. Was that first band for either of you, or did you have punk bands before that? Oh no, we we go back. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, to, to get together too. Yeah. I, well, yeah. not not playing together so much, but Mike, you you filled in for my high school band once. Yeah. We John and I went to different high schools about 20 minutes apart. Um but we all went to shows in the same town in our county. So that's like where we knew each other from. Mm-hmm. Um I don't remember where where we first met. I want to say the back door. I think it was either the it was somewhere in Nyack. Nyack uh, is uh where Coheed and Cambria is from. They're the most famous band from here. We might be the second most famous. <laughs> we might be. I don't know, Thanks. I don't uh, know if any there's any musician uh out, outside of Coheed and Cambria from Rockland County more famous than me or Mike Natoli. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean the Spyro Gyra is from here, I think. I don't know. Third, I'll take third. <laughs> Why don't you be from a town that Live is from? Damn it! Oh, you can't. Uh, not going to be Live. I'm afraid. Uh, I know Claudio from Coheed and Cambria started the Backdoor in Nyack like in 1995, maybe, and that was like kind of the first place that I was introduced to local bands and and local shows, and probably met John one of those nights down there, but. Um, yeah, he had a band in high school, and I had a band in high school, and there was a few other bands, and and we would just play shows together all the time, and uh, it was very local. We didn't get a whole lot of like national acts coming through. Like the most like bands from like maybe the Philly area, or like would come down from like upstate a little bit, would come through like every once in a while, but we never got like national touring acts maybe because we're so close to the city didn't like wesley willis come to orange county once um that's the neighboring county he didn't he didn't come to us (laughs) but 
I don't. Wesley Willis played York a couple times. Huh? He played uh, York, the town I'm from, a couple times, so that's not that surprising. York's a a notch up from Rockland County, New York. (laughs) Ah, have you been there? (laughs) I'd heard of it. So what era was the knockdown from? What like what years were the, was the knockdown active? This is a uh, mic question. Two thousand five to two thousand nine. Okay, so I'm like a hundred percent sure. I didn't know that the knockdown and timeshare had anything to do with each other until Justin had it on notes. But I'm pretty sure really? when I ran a really? MySpace page called Pilot Productions that I was supposed to book a show for the knockdown. Did you guys have a really big MySpace presence where you added a lot of people? Uh, I don't know. Vic did the MySpace, right? I don't know. I know. I, I was even... supposed to book a show for the knockdown from New York when I was like fucking 15 years old. When would that have been? Like what year? Between how old am i that would have been 15 years ago 15 years ago so like 2005 yeah yep. that would have been before i was in the knockdown that would have been before we were both in the knockdown oh yeah you, mike and like, i were the last two members added to the knockdown i okay. i think i i kind of remember because trunks and tails played with the knockdown in aj's basement in phillipsburg new jersey right and john i feel like you were very new i feel like that was something Someone said on stage, like, oh, this is our new member, John. That would... That Does it sound right? New Jersey. That was, um... With Pericles? Oh, Mike's... Get ready the to keeper, take the snippers to this episode if Mike's opening the dock. Keeper of the archive, huh? The uh, Trunks and Tails archive has been lost to history. Dan deleted the Tumblr, and it is gone. Oh, so, come on. Why so delete a Tumblr? Why would he do I that? have no idea. I asked him for it like two years after we had our like our thing, and um, he's like, "Nah, that's gone." I was like, "Son of a breakup." Yeah, I know. It's a thing. Oh, but uh, yeah, that that show. Uh, <laughs> you got the... this right. If that was the summer of '08. Uh... Ooh, it might have been. Now wait. Oh. Uh... <laughs> I like this two, com- two computers rolling. Great audio. <laughs> do you do you remember if it was the fall? Could it have been October? It could. Yes, because you guys played Flight in a Crash at that show on your way to Fest. Nice. Yo. Here's the thing, though, we weren't on our way to Fest. No. Instead of instead of playing Fest that year, we played a Halloween cover show in Indianapolis as Hot Water Music. Oh, that's awesome! I was under the impression you were on your way to Fest. We booked that we tour. tour I we did a tour around Fest, and we jumped on like shows of bands going to Fest, and we weren't on Fest. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Didn't then, we book that because Vic thought he got us Fest? It's possible. I mean, we had already, we had technically put the record out on Kiss of Death. So for, you know, for my money, I I would have said that we would have been on Fest. Um, But we weren't, I mean, we were completely new to it. We had never, we had never been or, or done any dealing with Fest. So uh, we were, you know, not in that loop. 
Yeah. <laughs> sure. Like I, 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 I had no because <laughs> I think I I kind of remember I have a memory of the following year after I met you guys seeing you play and when the venue still had the side room. Yeah. yeah. Was that your first year playing? That was our first year playing. We did a two. And that was two, also like our last two. show. Oh, as the knockdown, that was your last show. Yeah. And we were we were pretty much done already. I think that that show in AJ's basement was October, and that would okay. have been the first show of John's second tour. Okay. Which yeah. his first tour was August, so he'd only been in the band for probably two months. Yeah, I, I can remember someone saying that you were fairly new, John. Yeah, I came in at the uh, at the end that fest. We we knew the band was uh, we knew the band was done. We went to that fest with the timeshares demos. Uh, we only played nice. the knock last knockdown show to go promote the new band. So <laughs> oh, why did yeah. you guys break up? When or why? Why? Um, I would say at this point we can talk about it without it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about anybody from timeshares or the knockdown without. Sounding uh, super. Uh, everyone's crazy. very. Everyone's just, very. Just call him a piece of shit and get over. It. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a, a, there's the a singer, song about uh, it. <laughs> the singer oh. had moved away, or or had come back from the, our last tour and planned to move away. So we kind of, like, I don't know. Kind of had to think about what direction the band was going to go as far as getting together to write, tour, and continue making music for the future. And it just seemed like a lot more hassle to try and continue it from a distance than to just kind of wipe the slate and, and start something new. Right. And uh, two things about that that I think are, uh, are important are, uh, one, uh, it's funny now because we all live Soup. We all live far apart now. I don't see anybody anymore, and we have for years, and it's really not a problem. <laughs> it could have been fine. But the other thing is, uh, <laughs> the other thing is that we were on a six-week tour. And this is over ten years ago. I'm pretty new to the band. About three weeks into it, uh, Vic told us he was moving away. And we're halfway through the longest tour we've ever been on. <laughs> and we all had to be like, that's great. <laughs> very, happy, very happy for you. <laughs> Three weeks of like, what the fuck are we doing? Damn. Yeah, we I came back and made better to, to wait till the end. <laughs> I, I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> Taking me 10 years to say it in a place where Vic will be able to hear it. <laughs> Come on. He also Vic. we got we got back. So Vic Vic is uh he was from Rochester and we like me, Eric, Jay and Vic all went to college together upstate and like so while we were in school, Vic's parents moved to Florida. So when Vic got done with school, he didn't really have uh he was kind of a, a free agent for a, a location to scoop him up so he came back from that tour and we he came to my house 
and recorded the vocals for the songs on the How Dare You split, and then got right in his car and left and <laughs> made it to Dubois, and his car died. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of the band <laughs> no, that was it and I'm pretty sure he just left it there and got on a bus now my memory's a bit foggy were you both singing in the knockdown like before Vic left or was the vocal change like a weird thing did you know you could sing before time just started we were both singing backups in the knockdown yeah I'd sung in my high school bands, but not, not well. It was, <laughs> it was difficult. <laughs> uh, I hadn't sung non-backups ever. When we'd, um, so the songs that are on the first Timeshare's demo, uh, some of them were written to be knockdown songs with Vic in the room, and some of them were done live in the knockdown with Vic singing. And if I'm not mistaken, Mike has recorded vocals from Vic of uh, two of those songs, but we'd written them. So when Vic left, we just sang right. over them. Uh, and we j just out of necessity, we didn't want to go find another singer. Uh, it was hard enough to get, to get along with each other as it was. <laughs> adding, <laughs> adding anyone else. <laughs> too tall a task. So you guys put out your demo, and then your next was your next release the Captain We're Sinking split? Yeah. So okay. how did you meet those guys? Blind, right? We met them at um, we met them at 538 Johnson in Brooklyn, which was like a loft apartment that um, our friend Jordan, who was she's originally from Scranton, and she's friends with all the Menzinger and and Captain guys from like childhood. She was going to college in Brooklyn. And was putting on shows in her living room, which was a big, pretty big room uh, for for a living room. And uh, around 2009 to 2011, she threw some just off the hook shows like yeah. Benzinger's Tiger's Jaw, um, just some wild shows in that apartment. Uh, that that's the the rooftop in Brooklyn that was covered in bad graffiti, I believe. Uh, and, uh, I think we definitely played with captain there, but I think we also saw them play there once. And I think Jay just like went over and was like, yo, we're looking for a band to do a split with. <laughs> nah, it's not even that. You know what it was? Um, Lisa, our friend, Lisa Gerlich, uh, was about to put out. Oh yeah. She put out, it's a trap. And I think I don't think we met them yet. I think we just sent them a MySpace message through, like, because we become familiar with "It's a Trap" through Lisa. Yeah, I think we met them after that. "It's a Trap" also was up on "If You Make It." Right. Right. Um, that was that great. was my intro to them. I know they had been around for a while. I know they did a uh, a record on um, Commonwealth that um, I didn't really know that record too well. But when that EP went up on "If You Make It," that was like attention yeah. grabbing for, for a year or two for a year or two if you make it was the tastemaker of that kind of stuff yeah it really I, was we were we were just talking about um on on somebody's facebook post we were talking about the summer of 2008 
the Get Bent and Iron Sheik demos both came out. Oh, yeah. And, like, we were on tour that summer, and it was, like, every single day driving in the van, we'd play through both of those demos, like, at least once. Like, we might listen to them each twice. And, and then was you get like, to somebody's house, and they're listening to the yeah, Get Bent they're demo. listening to it. <laughs> I remember the... Uh... The first time that Iron Sheet came anywhere close to us, they played Lava Space in Philly. Before, they would just play the Sprainerd House after that. But when they played Lava Space, Paul Baraboo headlined over them. It was like Sprainerd, yeah. Iron Sheik, and Paul Baraboo, and Paul Baraboo headlined. Yeah. I believe that. Back then? Yeah. At the, for the, oh, at the, the beginning? Yeah. yeah. On that That's tour it. that we met you on, the, the non-Fest Fest tour... We played yeah, a house yeah. show in Asheville at a house with the address 69 Gay Street. And um, <laughs> and we had been we'd been cold calling people trying to get on shows that fest bands were on. And we had tried to get on this show in Chattanooga that was like the classic pre-fest, like 12 band show, um, just marathon night of bands. And they were like, no way. Uh, we can't squeeze another band. We're like, you already have 12 bands? Like, we'll play first. We, we don't want any money. We'll play short, whatever. So this, We drove that guy. We drove that yeah, guy we, in. He we got us on. We mention this at this uh, Asheville show. And this guy goes, that's my roommate putting on that show. If you give me a ride back to Chattanooga, I'll make sure you open that show. <laughs> so yeah, we drove a guy to fucking twenty-five, <laughs> and uh, and then we played like first of thirteen bands, and I think Iron Sheik played last of thirteen bands. Yep, yep. But it was at the point where like Iron Sheik playing last didn't even like have a draw. Right. They were like the unlucky band that had to go last. Yeah, they showed up middle of the night. Everyone's been drinking Sparks because it was like two, it was like two dollars oh. that night. Everyone's been drinking Sparks for twelve hours. Somehow she gets there and they're drunker than everybody. And I think they were on tour with Underground Railroad to Candyland on that. Possibly. Or, or they, I think Jonesen was on the show, too. Mike Dumps wasn't in Iron Sheik at the time. Right. But Mike was in Jonesen. I think they were they were on the show. I don't know if they were together. There was an all-girl band from Japan called Belly Button <laughs> on the show. Um, fuck. I don't know. I feel like. Maybe the Ergs played or something. Maybe uh, Mike was playing in an Underground Railroad, right? Or maybe he might have been playing in the Measure. I'm not sure. I don't know. It was it was it was a good good 2008 fest pre <laughs> pre fest show. Those those first couple Trunks of Tales tours, PJ Bond's drink of choice was Sparks. Wow. Ask PJ Bond about Sparks or Juice. Oh, we know about Ask us about Juice, motherfucker. <laughs> I always I always tell people that the knockdown were the test subjects for Four Loco. Every so. time they changed the name. We were drinking in Rich every time we went to Richmond, we would uh we would go to that seven eleven and get whatever the new like four max. Um, did you ever did you ever play a show at Nara Sushi in Richmond? I don't think so, but I tried. It, it, was, it was like the first spot that Alex Wilhelm was booking shows in Richmond when he moved to Richmond. And uh, it was right 
next to or across the street from a 7-Eleven. So we got there. Uh, we got there one time early and the place wasn't open yet. And we went into 7-Eleven and it was called Four Max at the time. It was before they called it Four Loco. And it, we were just like, what the fuck is this? It was like they planted it there for us to find it. And <laughs> and we we started drinking it and it was just like, oh, fuck. Uh, um, one time we go to this one of my favorite uh, drinking is bad stories. Uh, we go to we play Richmond where I we must have been the knockdown is when we went with um, it was the, it was the fest not fest tour, I guess, because we were with Bridge and Tunnel and The Measure and we were hopping on all their shows that I believe Lauren had booked. And uh, and I know I know she was mad at us about that because she told me recently and uh, <laughs> I, I have a similar story for later. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so Lauren um, and and Jeff were letting us get on all these shows, and they uh, we get to we get to Narasushi in Richmond, and Alex Wilhelm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going real inside baseball. I don't know if people who are just downloading this podcast know Alex Wilhelm like we do. We, we get <laughs> we get super regional on some of these, so go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> I'll stop dropping every name I know. Yeah. But uh, so uh, we get there, but and we get in the we, we were hanging out in the Measures van for a bit, and Tim and Fid from the Measure are drinking these like these these four max for whatever energy drinks and uh, whatever they were up to at that point, and. I don't remember. They said something coaxing me and Jay into going and buying a bunch of them. And this is how I learned that three is the limit. You never you never drink three of those <laughs> because as the night goes on, we weren't supposed to be on that show. So we weren't offered food. All the other bands got free sushi. It was at a sushi place. And I remember I'm sitting at our merch table. I'd have had three of these energy drinks, uh, uh, these energy booze drinks. And I'm watching like all the sushi go away. I'm like, I'm like sweating angry. I'm like red with anger. And I don't know who I'm angry at because I took, I, I, I'm happy we're on the show. We weren't offered the food. I'm just watching a mountain of sushi go away. And the whole band goes to pick up Chinese food. And, and I agree to stay at the merch table and I'm sitting there by myself and they have my order. They're going to bring me back food. And, uh, I'm watching the mountain of sushi go away. And I don't know what happens, but I just start getting it in my head that they're just like having fun at a Chinese food place without me. And uh, I'm like, fucking, that's like, I watch like someone in Bridge and Tunnel take the last piece and I'm like, that's it. And I, I, I stomp down the street to this Chinese food place and I fling the door open and I saw Jay had opened his food and started eating it. And I was like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. You left me at the table so you could eat your food. I'm fucking starving. I'm watching them all eat the sushi. And Mike and Eric are like, your food hasn't come yet. Your food hasn't come yet. We were, <laughs> and, and my food hadn't come yet. I just was going into full loco psychosis, and I had to apologize to everybody. And then we get back to the show, and the show's almost over. And Jay starts crying outside the show, and I still don't know why. Let me jump in here. I want to. Last thing. The way I look like. Go ahead. So just the last thing I remember. Is I'm standing up like I'm I'm already like coming down from what this four loco had done to me, and I look down outside the venue, and Tia's got her arm around Jay, Tia from Bridge and Tunnel, telling Jay that like everything was gonna be okay, and I was, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never do this shit again. 
<laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure I got Jake Ryan in. the way i remember this was that we had jumped on a bunch of bridge and tunnel and measure shows they they were on a long tour they had gone like all the way out to the west coast i think they were on tour for like maybe 70 days um and 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 we had jumped on a bunch of their shows which i'm sure they weren't happy about and that one we were not supposed to be on and we had kind of said, like, I think we were with them the night before, and we had said, we're just gonna come. Like, <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna show up to watch and hang out. So we kind of like showed up in Richmond and I believe started drinking for Max. And and then it was like Fid or or Tim Burke or somebody came out from the venue and said, We got you guys an opening spot. And it was like the fucking four max was already in us. And and I think like maybe Jay was hammered and and I don't know he didn't think he played well or something but I I remember like maybe him thinking he dis he no I know what it was I know what it was I know what it was Jay like left to get cigarettes or something and they only gave us fifteen minutes and Jay showed up like three minutes after we were supposed to start playing and Jay from the measure who was always very patient and kind to us was standing by the stage and he said something like, like, uh, like way to go after we did you guys a favor, man. Like some shit like that, like in that deep fin voice. And Jay was just broken by it. And he should, I mean, and that's, you know, Jay knowing he did, you know, I don't make fun of him for that. (laughs) He was going through four loco psychosis. (laughs) He was very fragile. Yeah. That that, that checks out. (laughs) <laughs> this timeline is going to be really fucked, but uh, we're up to bearable, guys. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh. Do you want to do the game before we get into bearable? We're at 45 minutes. Yeah, I'm glad we used up the entire running time telling. Uh, oh, I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like we should just go long and, and, and trim down the first 45 yeah. minutes a little bit. We can go long and cut it into pieces. It's no, yeah, yeah. no problem. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's so much more. We barely scratched uh, yeah. the surface. Yeah, right, didn't even so, get to your first full length, so. Yes. So the you guys both have scrap paper and a pen. Yes. Yeah. And okay. I don't know what this is going to be, guys. Just okay. <laughs> I'm in the dark with you as well. Have you guys ever been to a wedding? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen the game where they're like, "Who does this more? Who does that more?" And they raise their shoe. Or. It's like the their... newlywed game, right? Yeah, kind of like I... the newlywed game. Okay. You didn't. Now that I come to think of it, you didn't need a pen or paper. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, they're prepared. But you just use your voices because if you had a pen and paper, this wouldn't be a podcast. It would be a TV show. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So we actually can't use pen and paper. So I didn't think this through, which I never do when I have these games. So I'm going to ask a question, and you're both going to say who it applies to, who is the more of that, or who it applies to more. (laughs) This is great. We're doing the newlywed game. We are. It's legitimately the newlywed game. This is super appropriate. Okay. (laughs) So first question is, who is more romantic? 
I can't move. I'm going to say Mike, but I got to shut my mouth there or I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like this is going to spawn stories that nobody wants to tell. <laughs> Not for me. I've gotten, I've gotten in trouble for that too many times already. <laughs> I'm going to say John. He's he's coming to us live from his house with his girlfriend. That, yeah, that's true. OK, yeah, that's 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 pretty romantic. All Look right. This kitchen. The, the, the listeners nice can't see kitchen. this. It's so nice. The listeners can't see this kitchen or that my pad and paper. That's a really nice hood fan. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Who's the best driver? We're going to fight again. Mike, Mike's got the most hours logged. Okay. He's, he's right about that. <laughs> but he's not the best driver. Mike's a... Mike does things behind the wheel that are very good. <laughs> very diplomatic, John. Well Mike's done. got a lot of endurance behind the wheel. I know, I know, I know where he's what he's trying to say here. I mean, I mean, I drive the most. Yeah. And but you know, I'm also I also have to make up large hours that we spend uh, <laughs> dilly dallying. <laughs> Mike so, likes to do this thing where he slams the brakes at random intervals and then blames <laughs> it on a car four, four cars ahead of us. <laughs> while the rest of us silently make spooky eyes at each other. Well. <laughs> this is Andy well, from Reservoir, so it's okay. There's always one. <laughs> I'm the, I am I the best slow. and the worst. <laughs> and Andy woke us up one time taking a uh, an exit oh that said 25 miles an hour at about 65 or so. Holy shit, I thought I was dying. Oh. So we were all asleep. I think it was in New York, wasn't it, Stephen? Yeah, this was after Josh backed up into a tree trying to pull out of Casey's house. Same day. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Andy and Josh, if you're listening. but uh, <laughs> There's no winner. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the better who's the better chef? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to John. Wow. Yeah, me? What's your I favorite so. what's your favorite dish of mine, Mike? <laughs> uh, the, the, the one with the uh, eggs. Yeah, that's a good one. He's <laughs> right. That's um, I make that very nicely. I should have skipped did, that question. Did uh did you guys do the do the thing on tour where you'd buy a bunch of groceries and tell yourselves you were gonna cook at a host's house? No, uh, we used it famously. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we would cook their food. We we used oh. to do a thing where Eric and I would buy a bunch of ramen, throw the flavor packets away, and we would go into our host's um spice cabinet and and try and make the better uh you know like dollar ramen right and then we'd go to the host and tell them what their spice cabinet told us about them uh no one thought it was funny but me (laughs) but we did it for a long time that i can see eric lecturing someone about what their spice cabinet says about them totally i can i can picture that (laughs) Oh. <laughs> no, Mike. Um, Mike's Coach, got a famous Coach, uh, dish. No, sure. Mike, have you guys ever tried Mike's penne alla Frankson ranch? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said Mike's the better cook. 
That's the, I knew that if you gave it to me, that that was the dish that was going to win me the, the round. Take a shot. It was like... <laughs> Ranch dressing. <laughs> that, was a, that was a visual for, for, the, for the podcast listeners. I was taking the... Uh, I was taking the top off the dish. All right. Who's more likely to steal all the covers on a cold night? Mm. <laughs> it's John. Uh, Mike Mike only sleeps on floors. He he doesn't take anything. <laughs> okay. He's selfless. Oh. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. I, would, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I'm, I'm ever since Jay's been, I, I took over for Jay as the king of the couch. Okay, uh, that's usually me. It's yeah. you and Josh for sure. Yeah. Love it. Me and Eric are like cavemen on tour. Yeah. We are, we are serious, uh, floor sleepers. We're like devoted to the, to the floor. I'm with you, Mike. The consistency is worth more than a lumpy couch four days in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. No. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, who's needier when they're sick? Ooh, this is good. Good. I don't know. It's Mike. Uh, maybe. Mike, you, act, you spent six years acting like a sick kid even when you weren't sick. Mike had like a neck <laughs> pot and a bag of vitamins, and he used to go home his vocal warm-ups on the sidewalk in the middle of the night. <laughs> the whole time that's a really this is a really good round right now because there there are some there are some serious like this goes deep. oh mike might not want me to tell this mike used to have a used to have so much mucus building up at all times that he had a fucking he had a fucking booger cup in the front of the van and he would just loogies into it all day and i remember Eric had to have a serious talk with him where he was like, the booger cup's making you sick, and I'm throwing it out. But, <laughs> you remember? <laughs> we used to have, this might come up later, we used to have two wigs we'd keep in the van, and one was named, if you put it on, you were a surfer from Orange County named Daniel, it was a blonde, like, curly hair wig, and then we found, like, a woman's wig, and we called it Daniela, and I, it just let's not get into the the long form on those wigs but one time my booger cup spilled on daniella and we were like that is it daniella and this booger cup are out of here forever and mike sat outside this gas station and cleaned daniella as his <laughs> keeping his booger cup in the van need <laughs> a sick person <laughs> so i don't know what you guys were like but i remember being in my early 20s and being really dramatic and worried about everything. And I can only imagine what it took Eric to build up the courage to have a serious talk about the Booger Cup. <laughs> like, he's talking to all the other members like, oh, man, this has got to go. I can't believe it. And then finally you confront Mike about it. <laughs> oh. I think that looking back around 2010, 2011, like right in, in that era of the band we had kind of come into form um 
to where we were selling records by just staying up with people drinking until the sun the sun came up. Like that was how we yeah, built yeah. our audience. It wasn't like by playing music or <laughs> like we just hung out hard and we just destroyed our bodies and destroyed our health doing it. And like 10 years in now, like I realized that being able to sing on tour is really nothing more than going to sleep at a decent hour, drinking a ton of water during the day and, and not fucking yeah. <laughs> staying yeah. up all night. Eric, Eric and I go to the gym every morning on tour now. It's oh, very uh, different. <laughs> I, I remember seeing him with resistance bands once or twice. Oh, I never did that shit. That's that's him. <laughs> <laughs> Eric used to unload the van and push it around. If if um if anyone listening really? has ever seen our band in person, our drummer is a muscle bound freak, and uh, every morning he used to unload our van, push it around in front of the house wherever we were staying, put it in neutral and push it, and then load it back up, and that used to be his workout. And I, that, I can remember unbelievable. multiple people waking up in the morning and I'd wake up to people who lived where we were staying, just staring out their window, watching him do it, having no <laughs> idea what was happening. I'm surprised no one called the cops. Or he'd be like running up the street with an amp in each hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll do one more and then we'll get into bearable and the rest of the timeshares history. All right. Yeah. Who... Um... <clears throat> Who takes the longest to get ready? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't think there's any dispute. This is a slam dunk. Yeah, I think that's me. Uh, now that What's we've your routine? Enough, Go through your morning routine. Terms with it. I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to take that loss. I'm ready to hold this L. <laughs> Mike used to get real mad at me for being the last one in the van. And when I say real mad, you're going <laughs> to... I don't think you're going to understand just how mad Mike used to get me <laughs> for not being in the van when I said I'd be. <laughs> what took you so long? It was like getting up to go to school. Like I would just lie. I would lie on my lumpy couch until the last <laughs> possible second until we had to go. But uh, Mike might also bring up that everywhere we wake up, like I'm surrounded by like, phone chargers and my laptop's open somewhere and like a book I opened but didn't read is on the floor somewhere <laughs> and my socks are in a different room <laughs> so I have <laughs> so to get up every morning and go wait one sec one sec one sec <laughs> what about it? Yeah, we, we, we travel very different John and I <laughs> he, he makes himself very at home <laughs> I, oh, that's my, my shit is like com- is like confined to like a two by five space (laughs) and in like 30 seconds it's back in a bag and on on its way out i build a little home office to watch cartoons (laughs) (laughs) he builds the whole home i i gotta get we gotta get andy on this podcast to defend himself because on tour i live like i'm in tragedy i roll out of the sleeping bag put on the same shirt and we're good we're we're gonna go and Andy walks into the bathroom with his backpack and comes out a half hour later. So that I think that's what he might have <laughs> That's being generous with the half hour. He brushes his teeth for a half hour. <laughs> and then Josh rolls up. He's ready to leave for a tour. He has a pillow, and he's like, okay, I'm ready to go. 
never, I've never owned a sleeping bag in my life. I've been touring for. Whoa, really? Yeah, I've it's been touring true. for. How long have we been going on tour? I've been. I mean, with twelve the band, years. I don't know. Yeah, like twelve years. What do you take? Never a sleeping bag. About just a blanket or sometimes. <laughs> what, sometimes. I want to say, and Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say one time, Josh brought a travel pillow like a neck pillow and an electric blanket on a summer tour yeah Respect. that sounds about right <laughs> and that was like all he brought <laughs> there was i i had driven a band from england around and they came over here and six of them all bought sleeping bags and then went home and left them here and they were sitting in my basement for years and uh just a couple weeks ago, I fucking donated them to a shelter, and I was like, John won't even fucking use one of these if I keep one of them. I'm taking all of them. <laughs> I didn't even keep one. Oh my God. Well, you guys did really great with that game. I, I went over better than I expected it to. All right, good. Well, let's talk about bearable, guys. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Lay it on me. The full That's me just those. chiming in. I don't have the question, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. We need that. Yeah, it's yeah. more of leading into it. Yeah. Um, I remember when it did come out, it felt like it was a long time coming. Did you guys feel that way too? Yeah. It took us a while. I think um, it came out in 2011. So we had been a band. We'd been playing shows for two years when it came out. and And it was like, 12 of the first 13 songs we had written as a band and and some of them stretched back into the knockdown days so some of the songs on the record were already three years old um so i guess i guess it did i don't know i think we we recorded it earlier in 2011 i don't know i don't remember when we started it um but it it definitely took like all of 2010 to prepare enough songs to be like we can make a record right so i i guess part of what i meant was since you were playing that long a lot of like live staples hadn't been recorded yet oh yeah, yeah. I, we we, sure. we we played like an like a stupid amount of shows for a band without a record. 100%. Stupid. For the first, stupid. For the first two years. If you, if you like look at the list, it's stupid how many shows and how many full tours we did without a record. But and I also think that's like a big part of when Mike was saying earlier that we, we built an audience on staying up all night drinking with them, where we really did that, where we laid that groundwork was before we had a record. I mean, even if people liked us, they didn't, only two of the songs were recorded when that record came out aside from if you make it having it the people who were you know excited for it were just people who'd hung out with us all night because yeah. we we insisted on getting back in a van as soon as possible you have a wikipedia i don't know if you guys did that on purpose or if it just popped up but you have a wikipedia i think i have a guess who made that wikipedia <laughs> i think it's the guy in this window on my laptop take it a take it a sip right now but uh <laughs> Does it read like something I would have done? I've never read it. <laughs> but because uh, 
I've been along for the whole ride, but have vague memories of like time frame. For, like I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, Bearable came out in October, but I remember being cognizant of it that fest that you played the laboratory. Mm-hmm. So it was probably. It was, right it was a fest. That. It was a fest week release. Okay. Also, so. just to completely debunk the author of the Wikipedia, you know, the release dates are public domain information. <laughs> Mm. Well, um, let me see here. I I had I I moved the timeshares show list over to this laptop so that I could seamlessly uh, sneak peeks at it. So you don't uh, have to spin, spin to your second computer. Yeah, we we played probably the okay the the bearable release show was our ninety first show. Holy shit. <laughs> and and we'd been a band for two years. I mean I don't know. Ninety That's shows not... in two years? Is that is that, that crazy? It it's yeah, it's crazy that... for a band without a record probably. Without a record, I think it is, yeah. That's that's barely playing like if you did a tour, because I was gonna say fifty two weeks a year, that's what roughly one show weekend, skipping a couple weekends. For yeah. Fourth of July Memorial Day, <laughs> but you probably did a tour in those. That's not too wild, and you had the split and the demo. Yeah, just bands typically don't feel better if we say that it's not that weird. I mean, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's not now. that weird. Then. It's not weird. Well, now Thank I'm curious. <laughs> I I I wish every uh, every band had your level of archiving because I'd love to know what. Like, a, I'd love to see a graph of that. Like, the amount of shows played before a first full length, whether it's a demo or splits or whatever. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I guess it seemed a little crazier before when I said it. I mean, our, our biggest chunks of shows were definitely after Bearable and after Already Dead. But I would say not having, like, a full record. Like, before Bearable came out, between the split and the demo, we had, like, five public songs uh and we stopped copying the demo you know at some point too so to be a band like rolling around the country with like a seven inch and two t-shirts I, I would say we we did it pretty hard a lot of those were like full tours too you know sorry this doesn't make good audio but now i'm curious how many shows reservoir played before we had an LP out. Steven, 2013, right? For uh, I Heard You As I Walked Away? Yeah. Somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. There it is. Okay, so our uh, first 12-inch, our release show for that was our 122nd show. Hey, there you oh. go. You won. You won. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we had a... Sorry, guys. Let Steven out. <laughs> a demo, a 7-inch... And a split before that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel stupid now. You <laughs> uh we didn't well there's probably a full tour. Well not a full full tour. I'm but... definitely cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. I was like, yeah, I wonder, because we played a dumb amount before we did anything. Yeah. More than four songs on it either. Well, in the beginning you're pretty excited about things. 
and then you realize things aren't exciting anymore. So you stop being excited and you stop doing things. Let's dig into this. <laughs> <laughs> now we're on to something. Let's pull this thread. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> I think we're so already dead. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's splits before already dead, Stephen. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. There's, there's four years in between full lengths. I feel like we barely even talked about bearable. No. Bearable yeah. is like a fucking okay. You guys are tell, uh, a, a specific period <laughs> in our lives. Yeah. Tell the tell the stories, Mike. Um, I was thinking Did, about it. Uh, you recorded. Recently. You recorded that, right? Yeah, right here. Oh hell yeah. Right here in my room, I've got um, we got, we got like the the rack stuff is here. Uh, I was just saying, I I don't mean anything by this. That record sounds better than I would assume with just your background right now. I'll tell you why, because I didn't mix it. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> none none of the stuff none of the stuff that I recorded here I mixed like I don't have great uh recording setup i don't have great software or great plugins like you know we just we we wanted to track um the records and then hand them off uh actually a dude that lived in the dorm room next to me my freshman year of college uh has a studio up, up in syracuse and he uh, mixed and mastered both the full lengths and and a bunch oh. of the splits. I think the only one he didn't do uh, before these last two EPs was the Luther split, and I think he was out of town or had something going on at the time, and we needed to just uh, get it done. But yeah, I, I was actually talking to somebody today about. Um, the transition from the knockdown record into timeshares because that was the first full length I was ever on. John didn't even play on that record. We made that right before he joined the band. And I was saying that like, when I look back on that record, I, it obviously reminds me of like one of my favorite like times in my life, but it's full of these, we could have done that better moments. Right. And like just like all these kind of like head shakers, like like we know better now, or like we, we should have put more time into that. And and I don't have as many of those with the timeshare stuff, like handfuls here and there. But for the most part, I'm very happy with how things came out. And I think a big thing was like we did that knockdown record in a studio with an engineer, and I and then we started timeshares and started recording our own stuff and i feel like we had to grow into that like timeshares has recorded in a studio with an engineer now but it took us a, a while to get to be a band that could pull that off i think like we yeah, we spent a lot of time on the records that we did here john was working as a school bus monitor uh looking after kids on the school bus and he would do like the morning run and then come to my house and record guitar until he had to go on the afternoon run mm -hmm. wow uh, yeah i'd spend my morning with kids calling me stupid for not knowing the second generation of pokemon and then i'd go play guitar for as long as i could 
And then I'd go have the kids call me stupid for not knowing the Pokemon for three more hours. And that's how that's how we made variables. Wow, and just li- <laughs> in little chunks like that. It was like every day. Every day. Every day. Every, every day, day I would go spend my lunch at Mike's. But like Mike and I only live uh, like twenty minutes apart, even closer than I think I lived down at the street. The time, back then. Yeah, you lived you lived like maybe five ten minutes away. Yeah. When I just have free time, I would drive over to Mike's and like sing a harmony. <laughs> oh wow. Um, <laughs> It might be inside baseball, but I don't care. Mike, how did you maintain consistency with a schedule chopped up like that? Or did it all, uh, co- all come out in the mix? Sound? Yeah, or did it all come out in the mix? We would just leave shit set up. Yeah. Like like all the all the amps and the like the we would we would do the drums in the basement and then we would have the guitar amps down in the basement and and be recording them up here with a snake and uh the guitar amp would sit there, mic'd up, untouched for weeks. Wow. <laughs> it was just like... Yeah, we did that whole record through one one okay amp that was just running the whole time. It was a what's the what's the loud crappy Fender? <laughs> it was uh it was a hot bill. I had one of those. Yeah. I think everyone did. Yeah. <laughs> Standard oh, issue. You start with that, and you, then you get a bass man after. I wish we would all just go back to getting maces, man. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I had access to a mesa for years. It was fun. <laughs> Those were also my thrice years, so. That makes sense. <laughs> I could really uh, I could really shred back then. Which one of you guys hits those, uh, the beautiful falsetto notes? Well, it depends, actually, which ones you're talking about. I think, I think, Eric. John, too. John's more the falsetto guy, or or Eric. Me and Eric both falsetto a lot. I, yeah. So, John, I spent probably a year or two thinking that you were the Patrick Stump of the band, and it turns out that the guy that sounds like Patrick Stump is Eric. It was never close. Yeah, yeah. It, it was Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Eric is 100%. And it took a long time for me to not resent the fact. That he sounded like Patrick Stump. <laughs> okay, that that's not just me, right? Yeah, no, like, it's su- okay. it's super not just you. <laughs> okay, cool. While he was, I was mouthing out Patrick Stump while he was tracking those vocals. No, no, deri- <laughs> no derision at all. He has a great voice. Jeff. Yeah, that's so is Patrick question. Stump. I yeah. just resented, <laughs> I just resented it at the time. <laughs> I like those Eric songs way more now than I did back then. Yeah. Way more now. On both records. That's fair. I like the men too, but now I can separate them from any Patrick Stump feelings I had. Now, now my Patrick Stump feelings are all positive. I respect the guy. <laughs> Great artist. And, and there's just a stigma about singing drummers too, so we'll step past yeah, that. Well, well, okay. I have vocal parts on every Reservoir record. Well, I, Mikey, Mike Erg kind of ruins that whole thing too. Yep. But, I crushed um, all my parts. Steven insists on having a vocal part on every Reservoir record, um, just as a thing. And usually it's like one spoken line or one like tiny thing. He'll be like, oh, I sang on that record. <laughs> just to get vocals next to your name in the, in the liner notes. I yeah. did. Hey, I have a vocal credit on a Mindset 7-inch, so I've hit my peak fame. Whoa. <laughs> 
It's all down. Which, which Stephen? Which one? Whichever one was recorded at Champ. Oh, oh, like was, the gang, the big gang vocal thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember us having to split it into team A and team B because someone was off time, but no one would, would admit that they were the off time person. It wasn't me. It was Colby Malone. Uh, I was going to ask telling everyone it was me. <laughs> he kept telling everyone it was me. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be in your fucking group. So everyone knows it's you. <laughs> now they all know. Did, did you guys ever play championship records in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania? No. Huh. That was like the Harrisburg. Well, it wasn't Harrisburg proper, but that was like the Harrisburg venue for a very long time. No, they were hitting up pile up productions. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing about that place. Was it was it a big hardcore venue? Yeah. Yeah. There there were two locations and uh Colby Black was in Van Damage and like Pant Black and Strike Anywhere and Oh, Van Damage, okay. Yeah, remember Van Damage? I was, like, very involved in hardcore music, like, around the time that I joined the Knockdown. Okay. Um, And especially, like, upstate New York was, like, a hardcore uh, hotbed at the time. Like, Syracuse and Rochester were just, like, pumping out hardcore bands. Like, Another Breath. Oh, yeah, that band was great. They yeah. played Champ. I saw him at Champ twice, I think. Another Breath was from Syracuse. The band from... Well, there was Marathon, who wasn't... It was a pop-punk band. Was that Polar Bear Club? That that kind of grew into Polar Bear Club. Uh, and there was other bands from Rochester, like How We Are, put out one record. Um, there were There were just great hardcore bands up there. And uh, th- a lot of them would come through Oneonta and play our school, uh, or we'd go up there. So I was I was really like finger to the pulse of that around the time that I started playing with the Knockdown. So were you guys I friends remember... with the Colony dudes at all? Within Colony from that area? Uh, that that sounds very familiar. I can't remember They're which. They're from there, aren't they, Justin? I'm not sure. We played Oneata once at Steve Lehman's house. Yeah. Oh wait, Steve Lehman. Steve Lehman. <laughs> when we did a Case Racer tour, and Paul Bless knew Steve Lehman real well, so we played there. Yeah. Hell yeah, Steve's Colony, a good guy. I don't know. I don't know if they had Oneata roots. I'm blowing it right now. I should know better. We we uh, played some strange New York shows. Um, Stephen was Tipsy was wild. Was Poughkeepsie like the pizza? Well, we walked to a pizza place. What was no, the we, name of We played, it was like My Place Pizza. Not MySpace Pizza, My Place Pizza. Yeah, MySpace pizza. pizza. Yeah, that was a weird one. That one, and um, what was the place we played that was the uh, recording studio that had the Peter Griffin fella with State Faults? That was in lower New York. Oh, that was in Binghamton. We played the Bug Jar. Oh, Bug Jar was in Rochester. Yeah, yep, we played we played that. Yeah, it's a weird spot. That's cool. cool. That yeah. that um that knockdown record we made it in Brockport, which was like just outside of Rochester, 
So a bunch of the time that we were out there making that, we were staying in Rochester, and we like we came to know the bug jar just from like going out drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then played. That sounds their- right. Um, let's let's keep going, fellas. Right. Let's see. Where are your notes? There were uh, two splits before already dead. The dividers and Luther split. Right. Um. Why? So. Yeah. Well, the, I know the. I don't mean the cru, cruise by dividers. I know the Luther split was part of the Suburbia series, right? That's, it was. Yeah. Yep. That was recorded. Uh, those songs were written and recorded after Already Dead. We got. Uh, really? We, yeah, we got asked to do that split, and I just sat in my basement and like cranked out those two songs and sent the band videos, like in a couple afternoons. Uh, and I'm like, because I was already, we'd, we'd like forced the songs from Already Dead Out. We were like grinding songs. Uh, yeah. So I was already in like songwriting mode and got those two out. And they came out way before Already Dead. <laughs> uh, the other funny thing about that split is we initially were slated to do it with Signals Midwest. But Nick Harris from Luther came, made a couple phone calls got us switched to be on one with Luther. Luther recorded their side and then promptly broke up so that we did a split with a dead band. (laughs) 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 But Luther were the best. Luther was like, Luther and Signals were like our best friend bands. Like Luther, we played like every Luther show for a while. Right. We played like seven of the first 10 Luther shows, I think. I love that band so much. yeah. That that demo or first thing was pretty hot. Yeah. The fir- the first recording, I remember that. I don't remember what it was called, but I had it. Maybe also if you make it or songs? something similar. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was sick. They redid yeah. those songs on the on the first like Right. Sixes and Sevens or Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Siblings and Sevens. Siblings and Sevens. Yeah. Think uh, the Lucero song instead. Lucero song. Also yeah. good. Yeah. Also good. <laughs> Where was Luther from? Philly. Philly. Okay. They were like, they were like, um, three of them were friends from like Trenton area, Jersey, growing up. Gotcha. And then Phil is a, a Poconos dude. Oh. Were any of the other guys other than Nick in the Reveling, or was Nick the only Reveling? Andy was. Andy. Andy. Right. Wait, no. It, the ruining. Ruining. Not the reveling. Was from, the reveling was from Brooklyn. I get right. that because we met them around oh. the same time. Very easy. Oh, wait. To, yeah. Justin, I don't think. In? I don't think Nick will uh, listen to this, but uh, if he does, I'm sorry. I messed up the names. Lean in, Justin. <laughs> Why? Lean in farther, closer, right up to the camera. Why? <laughs> now I'm a poke nose guy too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh fuck Stephen little do you know you picked the perfect audience for that <laughs> Son of a okay bitch. anyway where were we yeah the ruining was from Trenton the reveling was from New York yeah and did this doesn't have anything to do with your band did the reveling have Jay Weinberg's was Jay Weinberg in the reveling for a they moment did. when yeah. the first first time we played with them i thought so yeah as and then they they kept going after after he went on to right. bigger bands <laughs> against me and slipknot yeah uh, 
as a Bruce super fan, I'm inclined to to know that he was in the reveling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, well, Already Dead was recorded before the loser split. So you guys have like a habit of recording records and waiting a bunch of years for them to come out. Well, this time. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't that long. <laughs> there was some red tape with this one. Were also, you, right. did you sign right. to side one dummy before this came out or was it no. like, okay. We gave them the finished record and they took gotcha. it. Also, okay. quick step back. Yeah. The divider split was also a series split, but it was based in the UK. It okay. was like a U.S. and U.K. bands series. Oh, so they're like, always behind with everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that one, I, I, the songwriting, I feel like it was just like take take the energy that you've used playing bearable for the last year and just put it into two more songs and and boom. Yeah. It was pretty pretty much like going on adrenaline and then uh and then and then we got into writing already dead after that and um yeah i mean it was probably a year from when we started recording to when it came out and then okay and then the dividers split or no, the the luther split was recorded and then put out very quickly oh, okay the, the way John said earlier, I thought that there was like a long period of time in the already dead saga, had, I guess. We had delivered a finished record to Side One Dummy, and they wanted to put it out, and we settled on the timeline for the spring of 2015. And then it was almost like in, I think it was December, the Luther split came out. I had to like email over to Side One Dummy and be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> we have a split coming out like tomorrow uh if, if, if that's okay <laughs> like uh i know we didn't talk about this <laughs> and they were just like oh yeah whatever you know this this that was like a couple months before we even announced the record so how was that relationship with side one dummy it was good we were just kind of just like wow how do they how do they want anything to do with us <laughs> yeah yeah that was I, i'm still shocked they put that record out i'm not shocked that they stopped putting records out shortly after they put that record out <laughs> are they done is simon dummy over they're not they're i mean no they're they're doing stuff they, they, they scaled they, back yeah they scaled it back uh yeah. the last few years um most labels have though it's right. understandable but they, but they famously like got rid of most of their staff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that for you guys? <laughs> Are we staff? <laughs> no, did they get rid of them because of you guys? Oh. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's not true. <laughs> okay. So would, you, so would you say they spent a bankrupting amount of money on your record, John? Is that what you're trying to say? I think spending any money on our record <laughs> qualifies as a bankrupting amount of money. <laughs> and I'm saying this as someone who's about to go shop a record around. <laughs> so hopefully this podcast doesn't have much reach. It doesn't. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Really You're doesn't. fine. <laughs> 
We only source it out to the highest executives. I like that. This I don't dummy thing. I mean, I remember like I was working at a Jimmy John's when Mike got got off the phone and found out Mike had just gotten off the phone with side one and found out they were going to do the record. And he called me and in true Mike fashion, it took him like 15 minutes of the phone call to tell me uh, that they said, yeah, they do the record. And uh, I remember like, I just sat in my car outside of a Jimmy John's wearing like a tucked in Jimmy John's shirt with the light up Jimmy John sign in my car. And I was like, I'm quitting this fucking job. And it wasn't because, <laughs> it wasn't because I was going to ever make money. It was just because, like, fuck it, I don't... I got good news. I can... <laughs> I'll go on tour. I'll quit. Fuck this. It was great. I, it was It was one of the... Because Side One Demi is a record label you know when you're a kid. I mean, regardless of, like, whatever anyone thinks or perceives it as now. Right. Um, right. I, you know, I remember we got asked... We went to... Um, what's the festival? We went to um, Grows Rock. And we got asked... Uh, like what our favorite side one dummy records were. And it was the first time I'd really gotten to like, think about it, that I had a record out on side one dummy. And I was like, where do I start? Like the seven seconds live record and, and the Briggs EP. And like, while I'm listing these records that I loved as a kid, I was like, Oh, and there's like, after the record had come out, I was like, Oh, this is special. We got to do a special thing. That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, so also, um, obviously cool that was, was a high point. Cool. Yeah. It was a high point for you guys. Sorry. I What's keep dick off. butt? <laughs> you're looking at it good, good segue Stephen. thanks thanks <laughs> I, I like the flow you know i like to keep us we called the studio which was mike's basement who and how did you come up with that name tell us i'm ashamed to tell you um <laughs> okay mind we this is over 10 years this is 10 years ago longer we would stay up all night recording things and you just like are saying these like same words that don't sound real anymore and you're like trying to like you're like give a couple more dbs to that vocal and you keep saying db and you say db over and over and over all night until you just start saying things like toss a couple more dick butts on that for me and we were very young and thought that was funny <laughs> that's pretty so, funny so it's stuck and my i mean we did a sprander release in dick butt we did yeah who else sprander sprander came over after a show to stay here and we had been set up recording something else maybe and we were gonna have him sleep in the basement and they just start walking downstairs to sleep and they're just like holy shit look at this stuff can we record tomorrow? <laughs> and they they literally like set their shit up in the morning and recorded three songs before they had to leave for another show. Jeez. We did there was more to that than I thought there would be, actually. So that's that's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> and some bands would be like, I'm sorry guys, I cannot put dick butt on the back of my record and, and record your fucking record somewhere else <laughs> but what's funny is i'm now never in my fucking life would i put dick butt on my record these people were nuts that's disgusting that's <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy i have a dick butt studios facebook page that i like 
I used it to test out live streaming when all this started to just get <laughs> see see how it, see how it worked. And I'm doing it at like three in the morning testing the sound because I know there's no way anybody is like, oh, Dick Butt just went live. I got yeah. there and I, and I watched that. I watched you test it on the Dick Butt page. What, I heard me uh, play Bare Naked Ladies or something? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, well, obviously being on side one is a high point. So did the tours feel different on that record? Did anything feel different or was it just, hey, our, actually, record, our record has more reach? The way it lined up, which in hindsight now was probably not the best planning. The record came out and the next day we flew to Europe for a month, <laughs> probably backwards from how it should have been done. But we also like the tour was booked around Gros Rock, which we had been booked on before we even signed the deal. So right. it was like that, that tour is happening. Like we got to do that. And then the soonest that side one could get it into their, uh, release schedule was two weeks before that tour. And then uh, we like missed an art deadline. And then the next week was record store day. So mm -hmm. it ended up coming out the day before we flew to Europe. So like we got on a plane and left the country for a month right after putting out a record. And that tour was awesome. Um, like Gros Rock was one of the most ridiculous uh like festivals we've ever gotten to do. Um, and then we did the second half of the tour with Ospi. And that was great because they had a good following over there. And like, that was just awesome. But then we came home and, and one of the things about our band that is like a subplot is that booking agents have just never really had any interest in us. Yeah. Uh, um, so domestically we've always been on our own booking tours and booking shows and so we came home and there still really wasn't any interest from booking agents and and we probably like missed a window to have it like lined up before signing the deal or, or putting that record out but the first tour that we did with the record out uh after europe felt oddly like booking a tour like in 2010 just like i'm sitting on the couch in the living room next to john i got the laptop open i've got google maps on half the screen i've got facebook messenger on half the screen we're like piecing a route together shooting out messages to people you know like adjusting dates based on their responses and everything and it, it was essentially like booking our first tour and then some of the like there was cool stuff that came from that. What was the the session that we got to do, John, uh, in in the Quad Cities that like live, where they like drew uh, we our did, picture? Uh, we did Day Trotter. Oh yeah. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, that was cool. When we saw that painting, you know how the Day Trotter does like the the painting right. for every session. That was like a very that was a cool moment when I got a. I saw a Dave Trotter painting of us. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that that's big in the punk world, but that's like a pretty decent sized like indie country thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like it. Like it. Like yeah. It was cool. It was the studio cool was really cool. Yeah. We did that. And on the same tour, we did Little Elephant. Um, and it was it was like it was cool because 
we didn't do like extracurricular stuff like that on tours prior to that, like having a press person at a label, like helping us pick up like little extra things like that was really cool. And we definitely felt that. Um, but then like some shows, like, I think we, we played the St. Louis area for the first time on that tour, but we played on the Illinois side of the river and like, perfect example like they put us on last being like a side one dummy band but it was our first time playing the area so like the the place was packed for like a local band and then they left yeah oh, wow. so, yeah like we were encountering stuff like that all the time even though we were on the label um but I don't know. Also, the record took a while for it to grow on people. I think it didn't really sink in right away. Um, I, I honestly feel like this past year at Fest was like even the first time that the songs from it got a really good reception. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that is? What do you think the difference is? Um, I never really thought that there was a a, like huge departure from bearable to already dead i didn't like i i thought the songwriting got better i think like in my opinion um but i didn't think that it was in any kind of like an alienating way but i guess it was kind of received a little bit different i i don't know john expand i also think bearable sounds like the community it was born of. And I think that's a big part of the way people attach to it and still do. And I'm always, I'm still always stoked about that, that people are kind to us about that record. But I think already dead, there's a lot of us like, like I always say that like, I, don't, I still don't think what well, we may ever write a set of choruses better than already dead. I think we'll write, better songs than already did a lot of times (laughs) uh but like they're like us trying to like learn how to write like pop songs and like but still not really knowing how to not sound like we did the first on the first record and i just think you know people wanted us to be uh almost like a nostalgia act of a scene that doesn't warrant nostalgia acts does that make sense yeah i Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, I think Already Dead is less punk in, like, a good way. Like, yeah. I don't mean anything bad by that. I think it shows growth in the the riffs and the songwriting. Like, Bearable is an easily sing-alongable record. It's a fest record, for sure. And the idea that Already Dead is a grower isn't wild to me, because it takes maybe a moment to sit with. Yeah, and and I also think we were like, we were we were doing all of our work in a very particular scene, and the people who were going to get to already dead first were people who were maybe going to have a hard time with us doing something a little different. Also, we took so much time between those two records. I think maybe if we made one in between, and people heard us taking a step uh, in between, maybe. Because I, I, I always remember, we, we go to Europe right after Already Dead comes out. 
And it's funny because if anyone hears this and they're not familiar with both records, I feel like if you listen to them both, you'd be like, what is he talking about? These are the same kind of music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's how I see it. <laughs> that's how I feel now. But we went to Europe and I remember like the third show of that tour, maybe a guy comes up to me. It was the second time we'd been to Europe. Uh, we were in Germany somewhere. And a guy comes up to me and he's holding up. He points at Bearable, that is. He points at Bearable on our merch table and he goes, this record means the world to me and my friends. Uh, we we stay up all night singing along to these songs. We saw you guys last time you were here. And you know, like we're a small band. That's that's huge for me to hear from someone in a different country. I'm like welling up listening to this guy tell me this. And I go, wow, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for telling me that. And then I pointed already dead and I go, hey, you know, we have a new one out now, right? And he goes, uh, yes, I've heard. And he walks away. <laughs> it was the most Germany thing that could ever have happened. There was the only thing guy. that could have made it more German is if he called me fat on the way out. <laughs> there was another guy in Germany on that tour, very similar to that. And he actually like said something like, this new record, I don't like it. I don't get it. <laughs> it's all right it's that really not that different it's not yeah, that i different. really don't think they're that different but that's 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 why i say that whole thing about how bearable's a child of a very particular time and scene and it's and maybe the other stuff is a is a victim of that but it really, i don't know I mean, like we talked about if you make it before and like all the all the records that were like that really got traction off of that. Like I discovered Sprainerd on that record, uh, on that website, their first record yeah. cut and paste. Yeah. And, and I can't even think of all the records that I got into from that website. But like at the time, that was something that we worked out also with, it was a split release between kind of like, and kiss of death. We told them both, like we want the record to be free for download on, if you make it because at the time it had to be you know right. like we we just needed that we, we we wanted that so bad and and by the time that already dead came out i mean that website is still up you know like it's it's still on the internet and everything but it's not you know what it was back then as far as people trafficking through and 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 it it having that much of a an influence over what people were listening to yeah. You know, so I guess it didn't have that factor behind it when Already Dead came out. I, I feel like between those records, the way people listen to albums changed. Because if you make it was almost like a record label that you really believed in and you would download every single thing from that and be like a fan of that, like curation of it almost. Totally. And I remember... Stephen leaving your wedding and listening to Already Dead on Spotify, so that was like a per pervasive thing by that point that Already Dead came out. And I don't remember it for I don't remember what year Spotify happened, but it wasn't pre-bearable. I don't think. Um. Well, no, it, it, it maybe, launched. It launched pre-bearable. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't. I, only I didn't noticed. have it. Yeah. I only know this because I got my degree in music industry in May of 2008, and it launched in October of 2008. <laughs> but it really didn't didn't grow into uh, like because I mean, God, 
what were phones in 2008. In 2008, we were touring and I had like a flip phone. Right. Um, it wasn't really until they killed the iPod that yeah that Spotify really blew up. So, but you're right. It was in between those two records that it really got to the point where everybody has Spotify in their pocket. Yeah, and I don't want to wax too much on the way people listen to records, but like streaming changed the way people listen to records. Yeah, you know, nice termage there. What? Which one? Wax. Wax. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Good job. <laughs> well, now you all pointed it out. Now it's weird. Uh, well, you know, I also think that's like. I have a lot, like, I think the way people listen to records is, uh, that's true also, by the way, that that had changed in between, because I remember Bearable getting added to Spotify, like, after it had been out for some time. Um, and uh, the other thing, too, is, like, because now we've more recently been doing, like, EPs, and um, I find myself even personally, like, someone recently asked me what I've been listening to lately, and until the new Jason Isbell just came out, and until that came out, I hadn't listened to, like, a full record that came out. And I don't know how long. I've just been, like, liking songs and making playlists. And I'm the kind of person who spent years being like, when you don't listen to songs in the context of the record they're on, you're doing a disservice to yourself and the artist. And I understand now that that's, like, a load of bullshit. Like, no, it's right. Art. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, like, it is because the yeah, artist the made a record. record. But what good is their, you know, why do they have to dictate the way you take in their art? And we're like, I'd like it if everyone only listened to our records in the context of full records. But it's not the fucking way the cookie crumbles, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't infringe upon people's rights, bro. Exactly. One of, things, um, one of the things I've been doing with all my free time right now has just been kind of cleaning and going through piles of stuff and one of my first projects was this huge box of CDs, like going all the way back to high school CDs. And then just like, it was like, it was like rows of CDs from high school. And then the top was just CDs, like picked up on tour, thrown on top with no order at all. And like, and that's where the rest of our demo sits. <laughs> it's in there. Uh, that's fine. I've got that timeshares demo in a shoebox somewhere. Don't feel any way about it. <laughs> I mean, well, I haven't actually listened to a CD in who fucking knows how long. Yeah. Um, and so it would just be like bringing stuff home, you know, maybe like rip it to the computer and then just toss the CD in a box. And then, but like going through it and I'm like, I'm like pulling out jewel cases from high school and like opening it up and just like, it's crazy how much is stored in your brain, like just of like the visual of like the disc of like a record or yeah. like the yeah. inside of the booklet of the record or like the back cover like that. That almost got like like encoded into your listening experience, you know, like all these records from high school that I opened up that like the disc had like, I don't know, like the um like the the Bouncing Souls uh, self-titled record ball. CD was a soccer ball. Yep. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> and Half the Laughter was the crossed out MTV. Yeah. yeah. And like, um, like I had like the, you know, the CD wallet in high school, whatever. And you'd go through and it'd be like, I'm putting the 
the fucking soccer ball on right now, you know, like, and, and that whole part of the experience is gone. And, you know, I'm not going to like, I don't know, like I, I am a, curmud- a curmudgeon sometimes, but, uh, you know, I, I, it's definitely different. It's definitely, you know what I always think about with this shit? I had a teacher in high school, right? Who was talking about MTV and he was like, MTV fucked up the way you kids listen to music because it gives you a visual and your imagination does no work. Mm. So I'm, I'm younger than that guy. So to me, MTV like was the world when I'm, when I'm, when I don't know where else to find music, MTV was like the most important thing on the planet to me. And this old piece of shit was telling me I'm stupid for it. So now, why am I going to tell some kid that they're fucking stupid because they don't look at the picture? Like, I like looking at the pictures on a CD. But yeah. I'm going in a grave in 30 years. And that, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, the things keep changing. Uh, but that's not to say, like... Well, I there don't... is, I mean, in a way, Spotify now kind of has, like, not many punk bits, but... I know, like, I remember specifically when that the last national full length came out and I went and listened to the demo and there was just, like, visuals that went along with the whole fucking record. Like, and that there works. are ways, yeah, there are ways, like, the, I think the Bonnie Vera, like, obviously bands that have fucking money, you know, can yeah. do something like that. But, like, in a way, it's kind of like the new modern version of the CD. Uh, you get Spotify uh, and it has fucking, like, visuals for the whole record and that's really, that's really that's really cool but nine out of time tens yeah nine out yeah. of ten times time ten <laughs> nine out of time ten nine out of ten times that i'm listening to spotify my phone's in my pocket i'm not like looking at it poser yeah. i've got hit well i've got headphones on or it's in my <laughs> i'm not staring at it in my car like i don't have the screen open to watch yeah no i certain, get that certain things will play video like the music video or whatever too right and that's part of it too. Like, now I don't spend as much time looking at the artwork while I listen to a record. But the trade-off is I can have your record on while I'm at work in my headphones, or when I'm going, when I'm doing my groceries. You know, like, or like I'll take the trade. <laughs> I guess you know I can. <laughs> the LP jacket's still there if I want it. Yeah. I don't know. I sound like an asshole. No, I just I, oh I, no I, no I I, I, I get I it. I didn't even mean it like it was like this conscious thing. It was just like a little extra, like something that was tying you to the record that you didn't even notice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I see. There's pros and cons to all of it. To to your point, to your point, Mike, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong posted the back cover of Dookie on Instagram this week. And it's something I didn't think about for years, but you scroll through real quick and you go, Oh, that's Dookie. And keep going. Right. Like, instantly, you're like, oh, shit, that's the back of Dookie. Like, I don't even know about, like, right now. Like, I just remember years ago it being impossible to even, like, Google search a back cover of a record. Right. And, you know, like, yeah, you had to own it. I did find a website when I was really into torrents that you could literally print like you know the inside jewel back cover the back cover it had the wow. spine label and if Jeez. you had a jewel case you could put it together and then you could print a sticker of the cd label and put a sticker on it oh. and i totally did that for no division i remember specifically oh buddy 
And um, <laughs> I, I think I did it for um, maybe KSB Knights too. The, wow. the height of the height of theft. Now, in the end, I bought enough copies of Hot Water Music Records to make up for that. Yeah, I made but my I, parents buy me a copy of No Division so I'd stop complaining about a bad vacation we were on. That's awesome. <laughs> I agree. It was awesome. <laughs> did, did, uh, did you guys go to the full album shows? The yeah. No Division no. and uh, Caution shows? No? We don't do no. cool things anymore. <laughs> oh, we, Steven and I, I went to the Asbury once. I remember the first time I ever saw hot water music and it was the first time i ever really like gave him a real listen it was like a little after flight and a crash came out i was going to see bad religion and it was a tour but it was bad religion less than jake and hot water music oh, and wow. i already i mean i'm gonna catch some heat for this but i already was like i, I was too old and smart for a, <laughs> less than jake because i was listening <laughs> to bad religion <laughs> so you know I'm like, I just got to make it through Less Than Jake and whatever this opener is. And Hot Water Music came on and just kicked the fuck out of me. Yeah. And then, like, the I saw him one more time on the – they went on tour with, like, Flogging Molly on, like, a Guinness-sponsored tour. Whoa. And I found out years <laughs> later that that's the tour that broke them up. And I don't blame them because I saw yeah. what that crowd was like. Yeah. And, uh, and that was it. They wow. were gone. I got into them and they were gone like that. <laughs> Justin, I, I don't know. I know we just interviewed uh, Mike Riley from Pulling Teeth for the last one. He posted a flyer today. Did you see it, Justin? I sure did. Okay. Uh, what was it? Hot Water Music, Alkaline Trio, Fairweather, and who was the third, the fourth band? I think it was Leatherface. And Leatherface, yeah. All four, like a small show in like the early 2000s. That's so sick. Yeah. Yeah, Mike from Pulling Teeth. Uh, I don't know if you guys know that band from baltimore oh. they're like an atheist hardcore band but he um considers himself somewhat of an archivist too and posts flyers from this day in history or whatever from his yeah. region so they're pretty wild sometimes i've been leaving yeah. the flyers out for the most part just because i yeah. feel like it could get really confusing for sure <laughs> if you well, scroll through it and, no. and for a moment you think that maybe that show is tonight <laughs> It was November 9th, 2000. It was Hot Water Music, Alkaline Trio, Strike Anywhere, and Fairweather. Ooh, Damn. okay. Yeah. And but it was the we, fly. Does we that actually talk. See that? See, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. There that works. We actually talked to him about how important it is to put uh, years on your flyers because otherwise people do that True. thing. Like if, if you posted one for like June without the year and we're like hey hot water music strike anywhere alkaline trio people would lose their shit because they wouldn't have any idea right yeah, so. hey, the email address for the contact for that show is emo swing set at aol.com <laughs> aol.com <laughs> okay so i don't want to i'm not going to say it again because i don't want to blow up your band camp thing but you sent me a record on a secret band camp before on Life Support and Out There came out, correct, Mike? That's correct. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I remember, that I remember you. I remember you texting me that link and be like, "Hey, bud, check this out. Look at the horns." And then that rec <laughs> and then that record never came out. Well, no, because right. 
you were you played sax on that, right, Mike? Is that yes. is that true? Yeah, I was yeah. a sax player in high school, so is that? I, played, I don't that, know if you actually, knew that, but it I don't know. Like a, Maybe it was a, a simpatico because I played sax on Reservoir and Gift Horse, both those records. Okay. So. There might we might have talked about that then. It's been yeah. quite a while. <laughs> like I said, we're not we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna talk too much about how no. long it's been, but I honestly don't care like if people hear uh it's, hear unavo- it's gonna be unavoidable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. At, yeah, at we, the time that I sent it to you, we probably considered it done. Yeah. It's, it certainly sounded done to me, but I wasn't someone who made it, so Right. I know how so that goes. For for a listener, uh what's being referenced here is we recorded a full length record three years ago that's still not out (laughs) i don't know if that's been made clear yet (laughs) how how did um how did it work out that you recorded and released two digital eps instead um we knew we were going to be sitting on this record that's still not out for a little bit and while we were making that record max stern of signals midwest fame had become our guitar player and was like a very was very active in the way we were like talking about writing and arranging and playing things live and it just seemed to make sense to go make music to release just as you know a way of saying hey we're still alive while this record was in limbo and also to give you know to put something out there with max on it with max's touch on it uh, to say, hey, Max is in the band, and also to you know, give Max some ownership over the stuff, you know, like it felt it felt right to do something with Max and to put music out. So we uh, we just said we were gonna do it. We booked the time. We didn't learn the songs until the night before. <laughs> we got we That's got the second one. Oh, uh, it was it was soon. The first one though, yeah, we, we only we, learned, we practiced we once. And then we went and tracked them live. And it was like, it was with Andy Clark from Luther. Nice. Uh, and uh, it was like one of the most wonderful music making experiences. It was like so painless, so good. I love those songs so much. Um, Isn't tracking live the best thing? It is. We we did the, uh, we did that full length that you'll hear one day. <laughs> um, oh, I, oh I heard it. I heard, I heard it today. <laughs> But yeah, um, so that was lovely, and we liked that so much. We went and did a second one, and uh, the uh, with Andy. So we've got two EPs, and uh, I love them. Um, I hope we do. A, I want to do a third one uh, if this pandemic ever ends. They feel yeah. consistent, even though you record them like months apart. And that, that's the thing too. Um, the second one's like made with the intention of building off the first one. Uh, the second one, I I also like that the first one's pretty like me heavy and the second one's a little more Mike heavy. Um, and, uh, they're, they're like meant to be considered, you know, a piece with each other. And it's also, it's also like, like, it's funny because I was saying before that when Already Dead came out, um, I'd wish something came out in between Mm -hmm. to, uh, to show people where things were headed. 
we made the thing in between already dead and these EPs. It's just been in limbo for three years and nobody's heard it. (laughs) So even it was the same deal. Actually, we went to Europe after on life support, the EP came out. And again, I had Germans tell me they didn't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Germans, I think, and I mean, I know I've known you guys for a long time, but I, the stuff, like, even Already Dead and definitely the EPs, I'm like, oh, they grew up on If You Make It and then found Drive-By Truckers after. And part of that is because I know you guys, but, like, you can also hear that, I feel like, in some of the riffs and a little bit of the arranging. That's tremendous. Like, that that whole, like, you know, like, alt-country uh, twangy vibe is, like, huge for us. We... We really try to, to dig into that. Uh, that's like, that's been a, that, I mean, like, the Drive-By Truckers is like the thing. Like, I remember right. the day Mike and I were shown Drive-By Truckers by our friend Jared the first time. Um, and like, that band's like the world to all four of us. So if anyone ever hears something by us and wonders if the, the influence came from that band, you, you aced it. Became like our favorite style of music <laughs> like yeah. in the middle of touring in a punk rock band yeah and it's funny because we can't we all came at it from like the wrong side like a lot of like all those bands are so cool because they grew up on country music and then like started punk bands we're like the poser version where we grew up on punk <laughs> bands we met them halfway we like the hybrid bands but have no background in country music <laughs> it works either way i think i don't know that's cool i remember we we brought our van to upstate to, to Oneonta for our buddy Jared, who used to tour with us to help us install a bench in the back of it. And he kept joking all week. He's like, we're just going to listen to Tom Petty and throw some beers back and install this fucking van bench. And he kept talking <laughs> about it. Right. So we go and Mike and Jared install the bench. I didn't do anything. I don't know. I, don't, I can't. I don't know how we to do it. needed you to test the bench out for the ride Yeah, home. I sat on the bench. <laughs> we go back inside, and I go, Jared, I've never heard that Tom Petty record before. It was fantastic. And he goes, what? That was that was Decoration Day by, by Truckers. Goes, you thought that was Tom Petty that whole time? <laughs> it's three different suits. And I was like, they're all Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I when I was a child, I thought uh, Matchbox Twenty and Smash Mouth were the same band. Oh, you still can't prove they're not. No, okay. when I was like first, Stephen, when I was like already nine, had this is a debate topic where Bob Nana is actually Rob Thomas from Matchbox Twenty. I'm listening. His name <laughs> is also Robert Thomas. <laughs> I'm listening. No, that's it. Yeah. We had him defend the fact that he is not Rob Thomas to our friend who had to defend that he was, in fact, Rob Thomas. Should have given us this game. Well, so we were going to do the debate game, but a lot of people and words and mouths go and stuff. Yeah. I think think the newlywed worked out pretty good for you guys. Yeah, you guys are great newlyweds. Yeah, we really swish that, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> we've it's always been the thing that we're the old married couple yeah yeah oh yeah we've gotten into fights in public that would would frighten you it would they would upset you terribly 
Mike said things to me that other people could hear that I'm still shocked he, he said. <laughs> See, I've never said anything mean to Justin. Ah, that's not entirely true, but I don't think we've gotten too deep. <laughs> no, no, we usually don't. We usually don't go cutthroat with it. And he gets cutthroat. A funny dynamic in the band because John and I have known each other the longest, mm. um, and so we will we will go uh, pretty hard. But then we also we also bounce back the fastest, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. With the what's, other, what's the meanest thing that you've ever said to each other? Oh Jesus! I, what's, the, I, what's, what's the meanest I can repeat? Yeah, <laughs> there's some, there's some I can't say. Okay, let's bring it back. So let's open up some wounds. We got into a set. We got into a set list fight, and I had just, I had just found out that. So I, I was taking classes. I was, I went, I'd gone back to school, and we were on a quick tour. We, we toured down to Fest and then played our way back with Iron Sheet. And I'd saved my absences for the exact right amount for this tour, right? And I got an email while we were pulling up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that I'd failed the class, that I'd used up all my absences. And I had to have this big back and forth with the teacher where the teacher was like, you were late once, and that counts as half an absence. Uh, and he's like, I'm failing you, end of story. And I ended up fixing it because that teacher was a professional writer who got stoked when he heard I was a touring musician. <laughs> Just an aside. That teacher gave me an A. That ruled. But someone <laughs> overhears me saying all this, doesn't say a word about it, does not say a fucking word about it the entire time. Hours and hours later. And I mean, like that night at the show, we were making a set list and Mike and I get in a fight over how many songs we should play. And I want to cut two songs out of the set list because I'm scared we're going to run long. And Mike goes, since when do you care about time? <laughs> and I go, what? And he goes, well, you can be late to that class. And I go, what? <laughs> oh, man. He goes, yeah, dude, I heard the whole thing. And it makes me sick. <laughs> and I swear to God. And I, I slammed, and I never react like this. I never, never made these noises in my life. I slammed my beer down and went, hmm, I'm done with this shit. And, I got <laughs> and then I sat on the other side of the bar, but no one else was in the bar. So I just came back five minutes later and sat down like nothing happened. <laughs> Mike, Mike, you held on to that for a full day? You, told me, you had that in your holster for a full Mike, day? He told me I made him sick. Because I wanted to cut songs out of the set list. Our, our, I mean, our biggest fucking, the biggest thing that we fight about probably for the last five years is fucking set lists. Yeah. We have fought, we've fought like in front of strangers. Like we, we fought with somebody that had been our driver in Europe for five days. <laughs> we went at it in the van. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it was gnarly. That guy yeah. was so nice. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> Fucking, we made that drive so shitty. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know. I bet you, I know lots of bands say this, but they're full of shit. No band has ever fought like our band does and not broken up. If anything, the thing I'm most proud of with this band, it's definitely not the creative output. It's the, <laughs> it's the fact that we didn't break up. <laughs> We're still a band. It's a battle of attrition, man. 
Mm-hmm. It is day, at this point. Jeez. Yeah. And you know what else? We're I'll, technically I'll not broken say, up either. There you go. And you always hear people say, like, you know what the key is? It's not quitting. It's not breaking up. And so far, I don't think that's true at all. It's not, <laughs> it's not working out for us. We're, we're going we're gonna to test that theory for as long as we can. <laughs> it's better than the alternative. It's got to be. <laughs> the alternative can be anything. I think I think Stephen and I's biggest fight was uh, we were doing an EP that had keyboard on it. <laughs> and we were practicing like the night before we were going to leave. And we we're me and Andy are trying to work out this keyboard part. I was and, the only one who was really intoxicated. And Stephen got really drunk and goes, let me do it. <laughs> we're like you you've never played an instrument with notes in your life he goes that's fine and just starts banging on the keyboard and we're like you are wasting time we record tomorrow and he's like you know what fine and just walked into his house because we recorded in his garage at that point or it's practice in his garage <laughs> he just disappeared and steven when you left josh goes you cannot apologize to him. You were in the right. I know you're going to want to apologize to him. It was your fault. He's like, you're going to want to do that, but don't do it. Don't give him the upper hand. Don't hey, do it. You know what you did? I apologize. <laughs> Absolutely. Because oh. I, oh, I, I wanted to keep the ship even. Do you remember what I was drinking that night? I have no idea. <laughs> White Russians. <laughs> no, hey. You got me and Mike support. Me and Mike say you won that fight. I did. <laughs> I still haven't had a white Russian. Damn. I've only been drinking for four years. So. Four years? I, I uh, broke edge when I was 28. Wow. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. I wish I did it that way. I never did anything cool as a result of drinking between 18 and 28 or 16 and 28 all i did was suck i was a nightmare it was a fucking nightmare for me ages <laughs> 16 to 28 it's because i was drinking all right let's see wrap it up before my sister-in-law and wife crash this and record that <laughs> you guys uh have any shout outs or anything we missed you want to touch on quick before we go you feel good you want to come back for part two? I feel part like two. we could we could probably we could probably do a part two just of fucking stories. You're yeah. on, baby. We got you. Yeah, you guys crushed it. That was pretty good. Um, get Eric, the fitness coach, in here too. I bet he has some stories. Oh yeah, set Eric loose on this thing. Eric and Max. Max is the good talker. Max is like the pro. Max is the one you want in your podcast. Oh, thank you for doing this, fellas. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. It. I'm really, I'm really glad we were able to get both of you at the same time. I think that was the key. Good hey, sport. Mike. It was, it was good talking to you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>
we played uh, the placeholder record release for this, the 7-inch, I think, right? Yeah, in Bumfuck, Maryland. Yeah, I don't even remember. Wherever Jeff Sheasley lives. Um, he's dead now, right? I don't think so. Oh. I just don't think he's punk Where do anymore. dead people live? Maryland. Maryland. But uh, we played this placeholder release, and we went to Denny's. And it's uh, notable because I remember telling Marco that I ate a fried cheese melt every Monday for two years. <laughs> and he uh, he did the quick math on how much money I spent on that. I don't remember what it was, but he shamed me in that booth that day. <laughs> he was like, that's like two grand on mozzarella stick cheap grilled cheeses. <laughs> I once did a Slurpee every day for like 13 months. Oh, Jesus Slurpees Christ. are kind of affordable, though. Yeah, they're like a like dollar like fifty-eight. A, yeah, like two bucks for a day. Big one. Um, so spend less than five hundred bucks. Like, right? I mean, it was like almost four hundred days, so like six six hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. If um, so, back so I always wanted to say that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at this Denny's, it was uh, during the promotion for one of the Hobbit movies. And we're all ordering. We all order kind of normal stuff. And Josh orders off the special menu and goes, I'll have the build your own Hobbit slam. And everyone at the table starts laughing because it's two, it's two in the morning and we're all just laughing at him. And the, the waiter goes, huh, are they laughing at you? Cause you're short. <laughs> yes. Like we're calling him a Hobbit. It's like, no, it's just, can I have the build your own Hobbit slam? It's the most ridiculous fucking sentence <laughs> you could say. No, I was laughing because he's short. <laughs> Were you? I was laughing because he said Hobbit slam. I think I made a short joke preceding him ordering the Hobbit slam and still feel a little guilty because I really like Josh and I don't like making fun of him because he's one of those people that I just like so much. I don't want to make fun of him. I don't know if he feels personal about the short thing. I don't think he's that incredibly short. It's kind of like Boots. He's not that short, but because he's shorter than everyone around him, he's going to be the short guy. Like if, yeah. if, if I were six foot two and I was hanging out with like guys that were six, six and above, I'd be getting railed on because I'm the short guy. Yeah, well, but this looks like a pirate. Let's, I'm, I'm fairly tall and Josh is in the band with me and... Andy the string bean crow, who's yeah. like seven foot tall. Andy's dick is taller than Josh. <laughs> I feel so bad for his girlfriend. <laughs> or do you feel great for her? Oh man, I've seen some of those movies and I feel bad. We should get her on here to talk about it. I don't think that's a great idea. <laughs> Only if we get Andy to defend himself. What does he have to defend? All he has to do is come on here and say, yes, my dick is taller than my bass player. <laughs> I don't I don't know how she handles it. Was it you or <laughs> or I think it was you, as it Justin says, when we were at Fest and for some reason everyone's balls were out. <laughs> and then Andy drops his giant schlong out and just goes, bro. You can't bring a dick to a ball fight. 
<laughs> that is absolutely a Justin says because I think it made it onto one of Josh's uh, like inspirational poster memes. <laughs> I'm really do, upset do you remember that we that really go to Fest this year. Well, yeah, oh. we were planning on it, and now they, a lot of the bands uh, rolled over. But Stephen, yeah. I don't know if you know this. The Hot Water Music did not, so I don't know how interested I am. I, that's okay. I've seen Hot Water do. They were going to play Flight the whole way through. If it was Fuel, I'd be way more upset that they weren't doing it again. Flight and a Crash, I could take about six songs off of and be cool with it. Uh, me too, but if I could see him play every record, I would go see him play every record. Even finding the rhythms? Definitely finding the rhythms, yeah. I'd take finding the rhythms over Exister, Light It Up, and... Um, wait, wait, Light It Up? No one remembers that. Take that off. I'll take... I would take finding the rhythms over... And I include it. Light it up, exister, Don't and say to what next? I was, I will. It's just a personal preference. No. I found I found that one late. I don't like it nearly as much. There's like, do you like the draft? Fine. I just I don't listen to them a ton. The new what next is a really great EP surrounded by meh. I was going to say this in our news segment at the beginning. Did you guys see the trailer for the anti-flag documentary? No, I, but I did see somebody post about that on the old face space. It actually looks pretty cool. Like, I think I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I would too, because I mean, I like that band a lot in their yeah. early days, and I don't hate anything they've done lately. No, I, I like the newer stuff less, That's for sure. Neither of you have listened to 2020 Vision. Correct. There's, yeah. there's one song on American Fall that I love. It's the one where Justin goes... Got that gun. Got that bomb. Well, no, that's not true. You also like the one about there's a cop inside of our heads. Oh, oh yeah. The, the one, one where he's encouraging people to commit suicide. Yes. I, lo I love that Bring one. it back. Yes. Gotta fin that's finish what we started. <laughs> Actually, that record's pretty good. I'll give it yeah. to you. Yeah. I listened to that one after we talked about it. It's not yeah. bad. Hey, who's next week? We're Wait. Who is hey, next who's, week? Who's next episode? I don't know. Next who, episode, not next week. Who is next episode, Stephen? Are you sitting down? Yeah, I'm sitting down. MC? I am also sitting down. You're more laying down. Should you sit up a little bit more? I, I'm sitting up right. I'm sure I was on the episode, so I have a small <laughs> pool to choose from. Flag behind me that I stole. Next episode is Michael McDermott from... The Bouncing Souls, Murphy's Law, Mephiscopheles, and some, and yeah. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Bye. Later, guys. Who will save your souls when it comes to